Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 805 Uncensored Podcast, where we discuss leftist politics, history, music, spirituality, and more. But tonight, instead of doing a regular podcast episode, we're doing a panel. This is the third time that we're doing this, and super excited about it because we've got an all-star candidate list right here. Um, with all that being said, we, of course, have some light topics on the panel. Nonviolent versus violent protest methodology, environmental sabotage, and uniting the left. So first things first, um, let me just introduce everybody. Um, starting from my bottom left, we've got Erica from the Cocktails and Capitalism podcast. What's up, Erica? Hey, so happy to be here. I always love collaborating with you, Jordan, so this is great. Always love chatting with you. <laughs> uh, we got Omar, my homie from San Diego. He's been on my show a few times. Thanks so much for being here, man. Sure, thank you for having me. Anytime. Got Chris from the Alt Left podcast. How's it going, brother? It's going good. Thanks for having me back on, man. Any any panel with Jordan is going to be fire. I'm in. <laughs> Always a great time. Got Daniel Wilson. Thanks so much for being here, bud. Our rep from Ventura County, 805 represent. Oh, yeah. Happy to be here. Always a good time on 805 Uncensored. We've got Aaliyah, also from the 805, representing Ventura, representing County. Ventura Thank County. Thank you for being here again. Hell yeah, East County. Woo. And then we got Lou, also known as Prepper Pig, joining uh, the panel and the podcast and all that for the very first time. So thanks so much for being here. What up? Long time, first time. Glad to be here all the way from the East Coast. Hell yeah. Okay, so how about we go to you first, Lou? Um, just give a brief introduction of yourself, uh, what you do and any relevant information before we jump into the conversation. Okay, I'll keep it brief. Uh, I go by Prepper Pig. I run an Instagram page at Prepper Pig. You can also find me on YouTube and Patreon if you'd like to support. I am a longtime community organizer. I've worked on basically everything, uh, focusing on environmental justice and mass mobilizations. And I currently teach uh, emergency preparedness uh, and self-defense to vulnerable communities in my area. Sweet. Aaliyah, how about you? Um, so basically, I just do some um, community organizing and such out here on the East County. Um, and I think I was on your previous panel. I don't know if I was on the first or the second one. Number two. Um, number, two. I, number two. Okay, great. So second time's the charm, I guess. Anyways, um, I'm hoping I can come back for a third one. I'm really excited to be able to be here today. Did I answer your question? Yeah, you did. Okay. <laughs> Erica from Cocktails and Capitalism. Yeah, hi, folks. Uh, so, yeah, I host the Cocktails and Capitalism podcast. Um, we basically tell stories that shine light on different aspects of our capitalist hellscape, and we pair each episode with a cocktail. So I uh, hope you guys check it out. Um, uh, you can find Cocktails and Capitalism on Instagram and on Twitter um and yeah i guess that's that's pretty much it was there anything else i should say no that's perfect <laughs> okay got chris from the alt left podcast thanks so much for being here again man how about you talk all about your podcast and what you do <laughs> i can't hear you're muted <laughs> uh -oh. obviously the technical genius is here at the alt left podcast know what we're doing um <laughs> uh -huh. You can tell I'm professional, right? Uh, yeah, my name's Chris. I host the Alt Left Podcast. Uh, we're a political commentary podcast. Um, 
we basically cover today's politics and we do a lot of historical stuff and some comedy um, and rag on the right and the left as well. Um, and we take it from three perspectives of a communist, a democratic socialist and a liberal. Very cool. It's a really good show. Listeners, definitely check it out if you haven't already. Omar, uh, my homie from San Diego, how about you just briefly uh, introduce yourself? Any relevant information? Uh, yeah, I'm uh, Omar. Uh, I do have a lot of uh, background with uh, police, policing, and uh, uh, just in general. Uh, I I guess I, I have a associate in administration of justice with an emphasis on uh, law enforcement. Uh, so I do have a lot of uh, policing, uh, I guess, background. Perfect. Yeah, it's always super relevant for the conversation, obviously. And then last but not least, we got Daniel Wilson. Sorry about that. Got blue screen of death. I'm actually just happy I'm back. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, my name is Daniel. Uh, Daniel Wilson. I'm currently residing in Port Renini, um, running for state assembly, actually, to represent us here in the newly drawn 38th district uh, for California State Assembly. Um, check me out at uh, all my social medias uh, at Daniel for VC or uh, voteforDaniel.com. If you live in the 805, anywhere in the 38th district, which is now encompassing Port Wanimi, Oxnard, Ventura, Santa Paula, Fillmore, Piru, Ojai, and the North Quarter of Camarillo. I don't know why they decided to cut it off, but they cut it off at the North Quarter. Um, so if you live in any of those cities and you do not know about me, please check me out. I would love your vote. I would love your support. Tuesday is vote day. So if you have not turned in your ballot, please do so. Last plug, yes on A and B. If anybody has any questions, we can get into that. But definitely, if you live in our area, if you live in Ventura County, yes on A and B. That's my spiel. And Omar, I would love I'd love to talk to all of you, especially. But Omar, I definitely want to talk to you on policing. I've got some ideas for uh, legislation on how we can kind of prove the rot from the inside out. Yeah, absolutely. Fuck yeah, dude. I'm I was already excited for this panel, but I'm even more excited now. <clears throat> okay, so tonight on panel number three, we're going to be discussing, like I said, how to build a strong, competent, united left to combat the right, violent versus nonviolent protest methodology, um, and should environmentalists embrace sabotage? I also want to make a quick note before we jump into stuff. Violent protests and property destruction are not the same things, and these are often conflated, and that's bullshit. So just want to make that clear right off the bat. So from my point of view and from many other leftist point of views, the far right has zero interest in simply beating us. It wants to exterminate us. Noah Berlatsky, a feminist and anti-fascist writer, notes that, quote, every right-wing authoritarian movement has one thing in common, a brutal clampdown on any persons or groups who promote equality. To avoid confusion, Berlatsky also identifies what he means when he says the left, which I think is a good definition because much of what people say when they lump in, quote, the left is meaningless and fictitious bullshit. In his view, the left is a broad term that refers to political movements that seek to achieve greater equality. That ideal is sometimes defined as being centrally about economic equality, but many modern left-wing movements are also focused, even primarily focused on anti-racism, feminism, LGBTQ activism, and many other efforts to defend and secure equal rights for marginalized people. In addition, he goes on to correctly state that the far right capitalizes on the fact that mainstream politicians, pundits, and citizens are reluctant to stand in solidarity with leftists. Hitler's rise to power in Germany was largely the result of anti-leftism. 
as conservative politicians like Paul von Hindenburg allied themselves with the Nazis in order to crush the communist parties of the day. So with all that being said, I want to present my first question to the panel, which is, is there anyone out here who thinks that the far right can be reasoned with or that the left should embrace any kind of hands-off, anti-violent approach to the rapid intensification of fascism in this country? And why or why not? So anybody out there who thinks that we can deal with the far right in a non-violent, hands-off way? Okay, so I I have to give a caveat. Now, granted, I, I literally... I'm constantly rocking shoot Nazi apparel. So this is by no means a defense of fascism or right wing. Um, I do believe it depends on what you mean by far right. So if you are talking about, you know, the, the, the gentle, loving, happy left side of the right wing, you know, the one that just thinks that LGBTQ and women aren't people or human beings that you can deal with in nonviolent ways. And that's where people like Daniel Wilson come in. Like you can do harm reduction in elections and put up leftists in positions of power. And you can get people from marginalized communities in positions of power who can do harm reduction, which is not a solution, but it still saves lives. Now, if we're going to talk about the real right, actual fascists uh no there's there's literally no possible way to deal with them um you know Asada Shakur said it best that no one in history has ever gotten their liberation by asking their by appealing to the moral high ground of their oppressors you know you, you won't you cannot deal with that because the the far the far ultra right is a group that is interested in genocide terrorism lynchings murders they don't believe their opponents are human beings. And so to appeal to their humanity is folly. So I think it kind of depends on who you're talking about. Are you talking about, you know, your average dipshit right-wing oil, you know, you're you're talking about your average right-wing oil funded Republican Senator, or are you talking about a proud boy? Because I do believe there are differences in, in, in methods of dealing with them. Fair enough. Yeah, no, I'm talking about the legitimate far right like white supremacists. Well, yeah, far right, it's on site. Um, So I believe that the answer is yes. Um, And the reason why is because of um, a book called Rising Out of Hatred that was written about basically um, a 19-year-old white supremacist who was born and raised in white supremacy. Um, and his parents and step-parents, um, mom and dad, all, all siblings um, and everything like that were all leaders in the white supremacy movement in the United States. So not only was he like born and raised in the white supremacy, he was born and raised in like white supremacy royalty in the United States. So he was like already born with white supremacy prestige within that community. Um, and basically over the span of like I think three years with his girlfriend who was like um, basically like she cared a lot about politics and social justice Um, and she liked him because he was like funny or whatever. I don't know some bullshit, but she liked him for whatever reason Um, and she started dating him. And after three years, he denounced the white supremacy movement, um, separated himself from his family um, and is now like basically like, other than the few times that he came out publicly and spoke and said that white supremacy was like just fear mongering um, and it comes from like a lack of education and all this other stuff, basically explaining 
the reasons behind, not necessarily the reasons behind white supremacy, but the reasons why it's so hard for the United States to shake white supremacy. Um, after he went through all of that, he explained how like it's terrible and how all of the people, like all of his previous fans, he asked them to reconsider being a white supremacist. Um, and long story short, he is no longer a white supremacist. So that is like just one super clear example of somebody who was literally born and raised in that movement who didn't live a life outside of that when he went to college got an education and met other people his point of views changed so i think that it's based on the individual like um, i think chris was saying i think that it just happens to be who you're talking to in the moment but um i think that that's just some really strong evidence that people can change uh can i pose a question to that viewpoint because that's I, I actually disagree yeah um, absolutely uh, again, I'm talking about when I when I talk about you can deal with right wingers in nonviolent ways. Again, I'm talking about basically what most people would consider centrists and people who are not advocating for genocide and who are politicians and officials. I believe you can combat them by filling ranks with leftists, white supremacists, which, to be fair, everyone in the GOP is like I understand I'm drawing some really weird fine lines. Um but my question, I guess, would be like, yeah, you can, you know, my grandfather, right, never wore seatbelts because one time he was in a car and he got hit by a bus and that bus, the impact threw him across the car and saved his life. That's not a good reason to not wear seatbelts. It was an outlier. And so what you're talking about is like, sure, and, and I, that's great. I'm really glad that through the power of sex, that guy was somehow able to see the light somehow. But that is not, a, we shouldn't all go blow Nazis. Like that doesn't solve it. And so I guess my question is like, we can find an outlier for any situation, but like without facts and data and without historical, you know, precedent on there, how can we justify when lives are on the line? Because that's something I've had to learn is by going from a liberal when I was in my twenties to going far left is I had to recognize that like, the idea of we can hug it out with these guys and we can win hearts and minds is just an insane amount of white privilege. The fact that I will never have to face persecution because of my demographic allows me to believe that. And you might disagree, but I'm curious on that one, where do you, where do you find fault in that logic from me? I feel like you really misconstrued what I said. And I feel like you really dramatized and put words in my mouth and just said stuff that I just never said. Um, I didn't say we should go blow Nazis. All I said was that with an education, because he went to college and got a formal education, that with education, um, it is possible for people to unlearn things. And I think that that can go from that really extreme level that I just gave all the way to the minor level where white allies like me and you are expected to deconstruct the own racism that we were born and raised with, even though that might not necessarily be white supremacy, me and you were both learned things or taught things um, that were just not correct. And so you and I have the responsibility individually to unlearn those things. And I think that that is something that makes allies really powerful. And I feel like if you can, you can use that logic all the way to a large scale. I'm a really big proponent of education. It's my biggest thing ever. Like, I think that a lot of issues when it comes down to it, I feel like if people were educated and had proper resources, I think the world would be a much better place. So for me, it has nothing to do with trying to appeal to Nazis or being nice to Nazis and everything to do with making sure that we're prioritizing education. Yeah. 
Oh, can I go? No, go. You you definitely go. I am a um, 45-year-old Black man who grew up in the Deep South, (laughs) in the rural Deep South. So my perspective is um, fuck these white folks who, like, (laughs) who want me dead. And uh, and fuck them. I want them dead. I want them dead just as much. I want them dead back, you know? Like, um, I don't have time. You know, I have two daughters. They're six and seven years old. I don't have time to wait for generations of white supremacists to be educated out of their white supremacy. You know, like this piecemeal, we're going to tackle this one person at a time. Um, that's That's not going to work for the timeline that I'm working with. You know, so uh, so I don't believe that there is a way to um, nonviolently change the structural racism that is murdering thousands of my people every year. You know, um, yeah. What did absolutely. you want to say, Daniel? Sorry. No, I did uh, absolutely to everything that that Lou said and touching on the uh, very apt point that you know Chris made about white privilege. So so Lou's right, you don't, you don't have the time, nor should you have the responsibility to educate a bunch of people who are proudly arrogant and ignorant about denying other people's humanity and existence to the extent of seeking out their non-existence through various violent means. Um, but that is where people like me come in and I should put in that time because I, and so I would say that Lou, you're absolutely right. Don't fucking waste your time, but I should, and I'm going to, and I do. And I, I agree with Ali and I understand where Chris is coming from as well. And I do think that it is absolutely a case by case basis. And I think that for people who look like us and are not going to walk into a conversation fearing for our life, if we can take a moment to have a conversation, then we should. And so from whatever, what I always say to people, whether it's myself expressing and openly being trans, you only disclose when you feel safe. And so if you don't feel safe to engage in that conversation with that person, then don't. But if you have say it's somebody that you've known for a long time or just somebody that you feel you have a good rapport with, but they say some backwards ass ridiculous shit, call them out on it, have a conversation if you feel safe and comfortable enough to do so. I'm never asking anybody to put themselves personally in harm's way, especially the communities that they target. But for someone like me who can blend in and pass and, and, and use that white privilege to break down some walls and have some conversations that they would not hear from other people, I have, in my own personal experience, um, through my family, and then also through, you know, working in my community, and then now running for for office, especially with running nonpartisan, I've been able to have conversations with people that they would not allow other people to have with them. If they were a Democrat, if they were this, if they were that, those walls are immediately up, and they can't nail me down because I'm trans, but I'm a veteran, I'm not a Democrat or a Republican, I say fuck Pelosi and Mitch McConnell, and they go, wait, what? I don't know what to do with you. And so then I get to use that confusion to have a conversation. But there also comes a point when you need to realize that 
you're talking to a brick wall and you need to walk away from a destructive situation. So in my experience, I absolutely tried, but I would never ask somebody else to do that. And not everybody can be saved or reached, but for people like me who can and have the opportunity to possibly bring someone out of, especially people who were raised in that and have never seen anything, education is absolutely important. Um, so that would be my thing is, I think that I can, I have been doing some good work in, in my life, um, being able to engage with people that society has written off. And so they, that actually being written off kind of doubles down in their anger and their hatred and their lashing out at other people. Um, and there are some of them that are on the fence. And if we don't grab them in their misguided rage and desperation, those are the ones that are quickly grabbed and, and swallowed up by the QAnon conspiracy circles and, and those things. Um, so that, sorry, that I've already talked so much, but that, that's my bit, but I, I completely agree with Lou. You absolutely should have nothing to do with it. Fuck those people. Yeah. Any responses to Daniel? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of course. Jump right in. Um, <clears throat> So there's an um, old adage, I think it's from Germany, uh, that if you have 10 people at a table talking to a Nazi, you just have a, you just have 11 Nazis at a table. You know, like there is no, I, I don't, I don't get this, this sounds, sorry, but this sounds goofy as fuck to me that you're like, you know, hey, let's, let's bring these people in. Let's try to, you know, work with them and stuff. These people want me and my children dead. You know, like no, no if, hands or buts. And even the one like, like even Chris drawing that line, you know, that, that really like slicing that baloney extra thin of, uh, you know, some of them don't, some of them do. In the, in the lifetime of my mother, black men were hunted for sport, hung up on trees, body parts, you know, taken from them as souvenirs, postcards of this sent around the country, around the world, you know, and this was a, a Sunday ritual. This was, you know, this was the, the precursor to brunch, you know, like these people want that. This was, this is their, this is what they think is a good time to them, you know? So, uh, so no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not down for any of it, you know, like you, you taught if, if, if they're not already on the way, it's 2022, you know? If they're not already on the way to at least equality, you know, which that's a loaded term in and of itself, but if they're not already on the way there, uh, they need to get punched in the mouth and, you know, and nullified. They need to be taken out of that conversation, you know, because they bring nothing to it worthwhile. So uh, something that I would like to include to clarify sort of what I'm saying, because I'm getting the sense that people think I'm like defending Nazis or something when I'm definitely not. But like when we're talking about white supremacists, um, the majority of white supremacists themselves are primarily anonymous and on the Internet, the majority of them. And so for the most part, a, a lot of these conversations would not be happening in person. You wouldn't have the ability to be able to punch that Nazi because you're talking to them virtually if you if you wanted to have that conversation at all. But by no means would anybody be expected to have that conversation. Um, but because it's this faceless mass of people online, 
I think that the when when not like when we responded mm, I don't know how to phrase what I'm trying to say but basically at the point in time where um pre-Trump when people white supremacists were not nearly as emboldened as they are now because Trump made it so comfortable for all of these racists and white supremacists to come out pre that um white supremacists mobilized online um, the year that Obama got elected. So the following the date immediately after Obama's election on his very first term, there was a huge spike in white supremacy presence online. And so because of this, I think that like when you guys are imagining white supremacists, you're imagining the percentage of the white supremacy population that's going out and committing these mass shootings like we're seeing. But I'm thinking of the 90 other percent of the white supremacists that I think do have the ability to be able to be talked to. And so like, yes, it is, in my opinion, on a case by case basis. And I agree that we don't need to waste our time trying to have these conversations when we can be focusing on other more important things. But I think that when we're talking about the ability and the the comprehension levels to be able to have these like conversations with these white supremacists, I definitely think that it's a possibility to change minds, especially when it's impossible for us to punch them when they're all the way across the the country and we don't even know who they are. So uh, I would just like to say um, uh, it, it's not just online. Um, there, there are people every day that are, that are told to their face that, you know, I fucking hate you and I hope you die. Um, and so it's for, for the people experiencing that, it's not just online. Um, I do, I do hear what you're saying is in, in the rise, there is a tangible, uh, numerical quantifiable rise in online blatant white supremacy that you're, you're citing. Absolutely. Um, but it doesn't just exist online for a lot of people. Um, and so for those people that have to encounter it and engage with it absolutely every day and, um, Lou, you're absolutely right. I, I completely understand. Um, there's no understanding another human being that doesn't understand the existence and, and respect the, the necessity for equality and equal treatment, um, and equity in just seeing people as, as human. Um, I think that the, the most prevalent examples that I have experienced where it's more confusion than actually, or for the people who grew up completely insulated by it and have never known anything else, people who have literally never seen a person of color, who have only read or been told about it, um, about the existence of people that don't look like them. There is something to be said about exposure and education and not knowing anything ever different. However, still, there does come a time for me when they're just they're just ignorant and they hate people. And watching the wave of blatant where it's coming out in legislation where we don't even want to talk about your existence. It's just so brazen and emboldened. Um, people writing stuff like that, there, there is there is no conversing with and there is no conversating and there is no saving those people. And we need to absolutely vote all of them out because they're the ones that are perpetuating and emboldening and allowing the rest of these fucking assholes to think that it's okay to go out 
and chase somebody down and murder them in the streets because they were jogging. Like, well, like, and I gotta jump in here and, and and remind everyone that that we have historical evidence of this. I mean, this idea that white supremacy is somehow now suddenly on the rise. Um, no, 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 no. no, no. It's oh, that's all built into the fabric are of finally this starting to notice it. Like that's yeah. what it is. It, it, is that is that liberal white America is finally being made aware of it. Yes. This has never ended, and the idea that we can educate and give. I mean, first of all, like. Ted Cruz went to fucking Harvard, I believe. I mean, it's not about an education. It's it's a willful dismissal of humanity uh, for I mean, selfish goals. But, academic, yeah, but I mean, regardless, again, like kind of like Lou said, it's 2022. Google's free, dude. Like, it's not hard to know that you don't have to be a piece of shit no matter what culture you come from. And we have a long history of coddling this and this idea that it'll go away for me again. World War II, we had, you know, Jordan and I have talked to, we had Nazi rallies in New York City Times Square. And that didn't go away until millions of people went over and shot them. Like, that's what ends this. How, we, how, did, how did we end, you know, how did we end chattel slavery in the South? And that was through a war. We had tried coddling and legislation over and over again. It wasn't until enough people got shot. And even then, it still didn't end. We still have slavery going on today. And even in modern times, the idea that's coming out, it's like, I mean, liberals, Bill Clinton signed the crime bill. Right. You know, Bill, Bill, Bill Clinton, our current president, are guys who have committed a mass racial lockup in this country and created the largest prison population the world has ever seen based on race. I mean read anything about Ronald Reagan. This is not, this is not something that happened because of Trump. Trump was something that happened because of them. Trump, no. Trump is the particle to the field of white nationalism and it's happening globally. It's not an American problem over in Europe. The Nazis are on the rise again, too. This is happening everywhere. And it's a slashback because we went through a couple of decades where the pendulum swung to the left a bit. And of course now all the right wingers are scared, but again, I, this idea that, we can reach out to people and educate them. Like I would agree. Like I think uh, Elliot has a has a point that like there are some people who can be saved. There are some people who, through enough exposure, enough education, will be like, "Holy crap, I was a piece of shit." And you can find stories of that. But I feel that's icing. And I feel as long as people are going to be murdered, lynched, raped, and drug out into the street, it doesn't matter. Like we can do that, and I'm I'm here for it. Like if you can if you can get one person to change sides, great. That's awesome. That's one less person who needs a baseball bat to the head. But in terms of, I mean, we're talking about lives on the line. And so right. I feel that we can have those happy, nonviolent things that work and sure, but that's nothing I'm going to put focus or energy into. I think that's for people like Daniel who actually have the patience and the soul to pull it off. And that's great. Um, but I'm still going to go out and defend communities who are being attacked. And sure. that's what I think that's hierarchy of needs. That's what matters. And I don't I think I think the idea that it's new is 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 a lie that we as Americans tell ourselves. OK, uh, I, I would just like to make two quick quick points. Um, I do not believe that any of this. Is new. It is absolutely embedded in the fabric of everything from banking to education to economic, like everything in our country is founded and structured around racism and the fact that other people are less than people. Um, so no, this is absolutely not a new phenomenon um, in any way, shape, or form. Um, however, the the education is not about going to Harvard. And also, I would caution against telling people to to go Google it themselves. We've been through two years of watching what happens when people Google it themselves. And so that's why I feel like it is important 
when someone can have an educated conversation. Again, never asking anybody who's being targeted to have these conversations. But if I just tell somebody to go Google it, what is that algorithm going to tell them that? Because it's how they phrase the question that's going to give them the answers, that's going to do the confirmation bias. And so, yeah, Google is free. That's part of the fucking problem. Like, I don't want it to not be free. I think education, all of this should absolutely, information should be free. However, when people are already of a mindset, they're going to shape and frame their questions that are going to give them the answers that they want. And so I don't think that education means Harvard. And I don't think that they can find themselves out of white supremacy on Google. I don't think that that's ever going to fucking happen in any way. Um, and so it's not new. What's new is a resurgence of the boldness of it in our modern time that we as Generation X millennials are witnessing because this isn't new. There are, as Lou said, and as there are several people within my immediate surroundings that are either second generation from Eidos, their parents, grandparents were sharecroppers, um, as well as the, the immigrant community that I live in with the Bracero program where people are just picked up. Oh, we need you. Pick all our food. Oh, we don't need you anymore. Get the fuck out of our country. Um, and so those communities absolutely have been targeted and should not have to deal with this shit. And we've got to change it. This has been embedded in our system. It's in our laws. It's in our education system. Um, I've got to have these conversations, though, because nobody else is going to. I've been doing this since I lived as a lesbian. No matter how ignorantly the question was worded, I would look at the person and say, do you actually want an answer or are you just being a fucking dick? And I think, no, I wouldn't answer. Tell me. All right, sit down. I'm going to educate you. Because as a lesbian, I cannot tell you how many times I was asked, oh, you just haven't had the right dick. Who raped you? What did your daddy do to you? All these ignorant questions that because these people have never heard anything else, if I don't tell them that that's not the reality, they're going to continue believing that and propagating it. And so, again, I don't put that burden on anybody else, but I have watched walls come down and ignorances that have been taught be unlearned. And so that is the education. When I speak of education, that is what I mean, because you cannot necessarily just pick this up from a book and it absolutely has to do with life experiences. And again, caveat, not everybody can fucking be saved because I still flinch every time I go into a bathroom because of what happens to my community when we go into a bathroom, right? And not comparing it to anything else, but just knowing that even by having a conversation with someone, I'm outing myself and putting myself at risk. I still personally feel the need to do that because I have seen change and seen walls break down and seen the experience and the exposure of, oh, you're that? I didn't even know that you weren't a demon. Because I've just been told my entire life that trans people are demons, that they're birth defects, that they're wrong, that they're immoral. And so engaging with someone that's trans and seeing that I don't have three heads and that I'm not contagious and that I'm not trying to molest children, that was mind blowing to people because they had been taught so wrong. And I'm done. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. So one of you the things that I... One of the things that I also wanted to clarify, because it sounds like it was misconstrued again, I never said that white supremacy was new. 
And I don't know why that was brought up in the conversation because I never said it. All I said was that in 2008, there was um, an online resurgence in white supremacy. And there was it, the online community of white supremacy became incredibly more prominent in 2008, immediately following Obama's election, and then became pub popularized. And it became okay publicly to be a white supremacist during the Trump movement. So that's all I said. I never said that it was new. Well, I got another point, another two points, uh, three points, maybe, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but I'm gonna jump in, because, yeah. um, <clears throat> Jordan, you said you wanted uh, some debate, man. So Fuck yeah, I, there it is. I also I <laughs> want to bring Omar and Erica in soon too because I feel like they've been kind of quiet. I know I'm I'm sorry for that, but it's okay. Uh, but okay, so I'll start. Point number one, um, I, I got a quote here by Stokely Carmichael, um, certified badass. If a white man wants to lynch me, that's his problem. If he's got the so power good. to lynch me, that's my problem. Racism is not a question of attitude; it's a question of power. All right, so I couldn't give less of a shit about you know, 99% of white supremacists online, all right? When they cross over into the real world, all right, they gotta get God, bottom line. They gotta get God immediately, no hesitation, all right? Um, and I'll go back to a personal story in 2013 or so, uh, long before Trump, uh, Klansmen along with some of their Aryan, you know, nation brethren, um, rallied in Charlotte, North Carolina. All right. And I attended that rally, like as a as a counter protester, right? But I was already an organizer and I was linked in with other groups. And there was a group that um it was actually an LGBTQ group here that decided, oh, we're not going to confront them, confront them. We're going to make fun of them. So they dressed up as clowns. And every time, you know, they they go around, they'd um they'd they'd yell white flower instead of white power, and they'd throw flower in the air. And it got national attention, like it got written up in all these different things, and people loved it. People loved it. And me sitting there from my point of view was like, what the fuck are y'all doing? Like, these people want me dead, you know? Like they shouldn't even be able to stand here without us rushing the the fence and um and of course local police protected them as they always have and always will cops and clan go hand in hand but uh <clears throat> but i'm standing and i'm literally like six feet away from these white supremacists and stuff and this wasn't the only clan rally like i've been to i've been at counter protests against several clan rallies in my area um over the years many in that same era that same time so those people who did that like they wanted to i don't know like not coddle white supremacists but they wanted to not be so confrontational with white supremacists and you know a few years later trump gets elected a a certified car carrying klansman gets elected to the highest office in the land um what the fuck you know like i see the line i see the correlation between not taking that offensive when you have the chance and what happens the outcome is they gain power like every time you know that's the way it goes so i'm still not convinced that that this education platform is correct i think 
it's probably more effective to try and educate liberals, you know, into leftism than to try and educate a white supremacist into, I guess, centrism, you know, like in the end you wind up with a centrist. Is that like, you know, much better? Um, and so, and so a question I have for the folks, you know, Daniel and Aliyah, uh, you know, you were talking about, Daniel, you were talking about, um, you know, some people just can't be changed. Their minds can't be changed. How much time do you think you have? How much time do you think I have for you to sift through all these different haystacks looking for all these needles that you can convince? Very quick response. Um, I would say I don't spend my time looking. They fucking run into me every day. And so I choose to take the the offense and, and the confrontation. And that, that's what I see as my confrontation. It's not coddling them. It's not allowing them to continue to be ignorant. So that is my confrontation and not coddling them. Um, and so I don't I don't go out of my way looking for these people. Unfortunately, they're everywhere. And so I choose some people I feel are worth more time than others. And that's, that's again, a one-on-one -on -one basis. Like, so again, it's, it's not worth anybody else's time. And I, I don't go out of my way and I wouldn't suggest anybody else to do so. Um, but we interact with some of these people every day in our, in our day-to-day -day lives. And so, um, you know, I can ignore it and look the other way and allow them to continue being ignorant pieces of shit, or I can call them out and give them a chance to do something different and then walk away. So I, I'm not, again, no extensive amount of time. It, sometimes it's a conversation. Sometimes it's a word. Sometimes it's a, hey, it's fucked up. Don't say that shit. Um, and, and I move on about my business. So I'm not talking about investing months, weeks, hours, years of my life. This is sometimes a passing moment, sometimes a drunken conversation at a bar. It, it, I'm not encouraged. Again, this, I don't go out of my way looking for this stuff. Um, I don't know if I'm a magnet for it or what, but I get the most ignorant people who feel comfortable asking me these questions. And so, again, that's why I feel it is my my and my my responsibility to have that confrontational conversation and call them out on their bullshit because they're fucking ignorant. Well, I think the problem we're having also is we're talking about personal ethos in this versus policy, like. Uh, you know, it's like, I think you know, several of us are talking about what should our policy be on dealing with these fuck boys. And part of us are like, well, how do I want to personally handle this kind of garbage? And again, if someone wants to personally not engage in a destructive way, that's fine. But I think it's kind of one of those, we, we have to make a decision which one we're talking about. Because how someone handles it personally doesn't matter because that's, that's your personal business. No one can tell you where you can draw that line for your own safety and your own wanting to deal with other human beings. But policy-wise, if someone wants to take a bat to a Nazi, it is your duty at the very bare minimum to get the hell out of the way and never to dismiss it. Oh, yeah. Just sorry, Chris. Real quick, uh, Omar wanted to respond to Lou. Uh, yeah, I just... Uh... Really quick, just wanted to say, I, I like you said, you know, you you do have these conversations, um, but I think on this, I kind of side with Chris and Lou a little bit um, more, uh, just because I, I, you know, if they truly are not understanding and they've lived their whole life not understanding, you know, your side or, or you know, like you said, you you're educating people, but um, how many of the conversations that you've had? does it feel like it just ends up falling on deaf ears? Um, just because I, I, I truly don't believe that, 
you know, years and years of thinking a certain way is going to be changed with a conversation, a single conversation, you know, and, and I, I'm assuming a lot of these people that you uh, tried educating, you probably have never seen them again afterwards. It was probably just a one-time conversation and that was, that was it. But I, I don't believe, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I don't believe even 90% of the, the conversations that you, or the people that you talked to ended up walking away with their minds changed. I, I, I don't believe even at least 90% were changed. Um, so respond to what Lou was saying earlier um, about, because this entire, the entire purpose of this podcast or for this specific panel is about violent versus nonviolence, like for that approach. Um, what I don't understand, this is gonna be my biggest point for the entire rest of the panel. I don't believe that the two are mutually exclusive. I feel like it's possible to have both nonviolent and violent protests. And I think that it's very possible for Chris to go out and spend his time searching for Nazis to punch. For me, I personally don't have the time to go searching for Nazis to punch, but I do have the time and I have been advocating to our local legislator to make sure that they're changing policy for California education. That way people are taking um, ethics class, ethics class, and then um, education on different ethnicities, updating our history books to include more queer people. We have a way to educate entire new generations at once. And I think that although policy is slow, I think that if you're doing both at the same time, if you have people like me who are focusing on policy and trying to change policy, same with Daniel, and then you have people like Chris who are going out of their way to you know, try and find a Nazi to punch, then I feel like we're accomplishing both at the same time. So I still don't really understand what what we're talking about i guess in in the sense that like why it's a disagreement like i like maybe uh, you guys can clarify for me maybe but is the conversation which one is better or which one is most effective or is the conversation like what we think we should be doing i, I think I, we're i think we're generalizing your viewpoint and maybe we totally did that um because typically okay so for instance what you just said is something i very rarely hear most people who advocate for nonviolent means also admonish violent means of protest. Now, if you're going to say that there is no wrong way to fight white supremacy and you can do it in nonviolent ways and you can also do it in violent ways and they're both effective and we should use every avenue possible, then you and I are on the same page because I don't believe there's any way not to. Um, I believe that's the unison we need. So uh, I'll go ahead and say I apologize if I if I misconstrued your point there. Um, but that's the first time I've heard it, and it's refreshing as hell. Uh, most people who advocate and participate in nonviolent-only means are very, very quick to criticize any who are willing to take up violence to defend uh, ostracized communities or oppressed communities. And so, my bad. And that's awesome. And keep being great. That's the kind of allyship we need on the left. Fuck yeah, dude. I totally agree with you, Chris. I, I think that a really good point was made with... Uh all of that when it's in policy versus personal choice and that are any of these mutually exclusive no all of all 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 in any approach that will rid our world of this hatred and abomination of white supremacy and any other type of hatred and bigotry i'm for any and all of it that works for for whatever we're doing in the moment um and i think that uh, just really quick touching on the, the movie you were recommending earlier louis 
that's, that's how I feel about our, our politics as well. Like there are some people that think that they can change the Democratic Party from the inside. I think that we need an inside outside approach. We need to have ground organizing as well as electoral focus on our local stuff. So I think that writing off any any, you know, solution that could work is is not good for any of so whether it's whether it's political and trying to change the political world or you know root, rooting out while white supremacy i agree by any other means necessary violence will be had so if, if we don't get what we need then it, and it will happen so um yeah i want to clear that up as well i was not saying that what i'm doing means that we shouldn't be punching nazis when they get in our face um everybody's approach i think here is good i think that we were saying was it even worth it was i think the point that i thought we were trying to debate um but yeah anything that'll work punch them out write them out stop letting them be elected stop letting them have guns whatever the fuck we can do to stop letting them have power over people because that, that's the, you know lou made that also the, one of his many millions of good points but the, yeah it, it's about power and so as long as they continue thinking and believing that they have power over people they're going to continue doing these terrible things. Okay, so what do you think, Erica? Yeah, I was literally <laughs> just going to ask that <laughs> because, um, yeah. Yeah, I my thoughts about this question are less um, formulated than some of the other questions, but um, I in no way think that it's wrong to punch a Nazi. Um, I think like violence against the far right is going to be necessary in a lot of circumstances. At the same time, I deeply worry about the ramifications of that violence that we would meet these violent people with, because I know that, and I've seen through my own experience of protesting, that when you go out and, and, and are perpetuating violence or destruction that isn't targeted, that the response to that is you don't get your you don't get your goal met and then there's a ramping up of of militarization around you like fucking the campus cops get all new armored you know fucking equipment and everything and so if it's not if your violence is just to um to express your discontent with the fact that these people exist that's that's one thing and i'm 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 i support it um if it's but yeah i don't know how to say this i just i just worry that especially if you want to be if you want your cause to look good in the eyes of other people and you don't want to turn people away from it um that using the same kind of violence that we are protesting through violence can be uh can be not advantageous in some ways. I worry about how that turns possible allies against you. Um, I, I worry about how it divides your cause from within people that are like, no, I'm not for violence. You know, People will step away from your cause. I mean, all of these things are concerns that I think you need to be thinking about when you're deciding how to express the, the violence that is justified you know, against the far right. Um, I guess that's the main main point that I want to make. But I also think that like it's important to not just address it through violence, but like the radicalization pipeline through social media. Address it through by building up your defenses for when they come knocking on your doors. You know, um, yeah. So I don't know. Those were the main points I wanted to make here. 
if I punch a Nazi yeah. and my allies, quote unquote, step away from me, they weren't allies to begin with. You know? But I worry that we have a week left, a week divided left. Somebody's that... breaking up like really bad. Yeah. I hear it in the background for not talking. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was you. <laughs> okay, we're good now. Um, sorry, can you make your point again, proper pig, Lou? Sure. Uh, I said that um, if I punch a Nazi and my allies, quote unquote, step away step from away. me, then they weren't allies to begin with. Yeah. I just wish that the left was at a point where we didn't need every fucking ally we could get because we're so weak compared to the right, like the, the, so the, like the media apparatus that the right has that is radicalizing people like fucking gangbusters. <laughs> like it's so strong. Like these people are unified. The left is so fucking divided. And then <laughs> you turn the person next to you that is on board with 99% of the things that you believe in away from you. That's the kind of shit that I worry about. And I've seen so many times um, amongst, amongst my friends, seeing them divide up and then be like, fuck no, like we were all about the same fucking thing, guys. What are we gonna do now? So that that's, I mean, I, I worry that I'm gonna be this like moderating voice in this conversation of, of like bringing up concerns and other considerations. But I do feel like those kinds of things need to be talked through if and, and not just say yes violence is all just blanket good against fascists and the far right like no if we just take that approach then it's going to be a fucking shit show <laughs> like, right because we have to keep in mind how fucking far right of a country we live in yeah yeah beyond that i mean we, we gotta like you talk about like how how organized right and well-funded the right-wing media and political machine is and i think you're right um that is why you have a stronger right than a left because the right wing is galvanized right yeah. and the left wing is all over the place and and there's a couple reasons for that the first one is the the right is 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 preoccupied with one notion Right. And I forgot who said it. It was a political science guy. He was, it's a very famous quote. We can Google it and prove how stupid I am because I can't remember any of this shit now. But he basically said, like, you can sum up far right politics in one statement that they believe there is an in and an out group. And the in group should be protected by the law, but is not accountable to it. And the out group should be accountable to the law, but is not protected by it. And you can take that to Nazi Germany. You can take that to the slave South. You can take that anywhere. Um, and, and it's always accurate. It's how it is right now. I mean, this is how we're dealing with women and the gay in the gay population in the country right now. This is this is what's going on. Is they are the out crowd, and they shall be subject to the law, but not protected by it. And that's the one thing they all just fucking agree with that right there. The left doesn't. The left are communists. The left are anarchists. The left are socialists. The left are democrats. The left are all these different political beliefs that are very different, and they unite in how much they hate fucking Nazis. <laughs> But that's about it. I mean, we're literally talking about the use of violence. And even all of us here who are pretty, pretty closely aligned with each other have disagreement where you would not find a, a right wing panel having this level of nuance. The yeah. left is educated in their political beliefs. The left doesn't turn on Tucker Carlson and just take it all the way down to the balls and say, <laughs> yep, that's what I believe in. The, the left doesn't do that. 
the left will read something and go, oh, that's pretty dope. I should read some more theory or I should read this other book. And someone else will be like, hey, you should come to this meeting. And we meet other people. We get nuanced opinions. And I'm not trying to like tote us here because there's some stupid leftists. Trust me, I've been one. And there's a million of them out there. <laughs> you did an and... entire episode on fucking Jimmy Dore stands. <laughs> exactly like you know we got people like jimmy fucking door and his fan club you know which are just fucking white centrist i mean i mean so it's like the left is all over the place and it is both the weak spot of the left but it's also the good thing about the left because when you're talking to a bunch of leftists you're talking to people who have read something more than a coloring book and when you're talking to the right wingers they're people who are pretty much just watch fox news and read the daily stormer and that's it. That's all they fucking care about. These are the people who will be like, well, you know, you wouldn't have all this black on black violence in Chicago if people would just stop talking about race, you know, and they, they just parrot these bullshit. Like, how come there's not a Mother's Day for white men? And they just parrot this this this, this self-targeted victim fetish. And, and they're united in this where the left isn't. And, and I mean, I've had Jordan on my shows where we literally talked about like, why we don't like why we don't subscribe to each other's personal political spectrum even though we're completely united on almost everything and if you're going to have an educated nuanced approach you're going to have disagreement and that's why the left falls apart in the face of that now you can combat that with things like solidarity with mutual aid with workers parties but here's the other problem is the united states like jordan said is a far right-wing authoritarian fascist white christian nationalist nation and so we have had decades of an FBI and CIA and, and COINTELPRO programs who have done nothing but dismantle left-wing groups and tear apart anything. I mean, even BLM, which is not a great way to do this, at least got something, they learned this from the Panthers, that you have to, you, you have to, 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 to segregate. You can't be coalesced. You can't have a central leadership because the FBI will kill the guy in charge and put someone else in. And that's... So for me, those are the two reasons I see why the left will always never be able to have that galvanized nature is we're nuanced. And if we ever get organized, we get shot. Okay, um, I, I don't want to jump in, but I, I do have to run. So I just want to uh, make a quick point and also thank all of you. This is all this has all been wonderful. And I think oh, no, uh, you're leaving. <laughs> I think that. Um, uh, with the with the fracturing of the left and the division and the you know the the spectrum, I've been trying to figure out how to deal with that as well. And I think that what we're exhibiting here, and not only the the conversation, the dialogue, but and I don't know how to get more people on the lefter end of the spectrum from from liberal, you know, conservative Democrat all the way to you know socialist, anarcho communist to um, not care that the person next to them isn't at their level or doesn't want to do the violence. Like, okay, man, you go do your violence. I'm gonna go over here and do the peaceful protest. Why does that have to fracture us? Why can't you go do your, your response? And if I don't agree with that, but I know that we're fighting for the same mission, I go do my own path towards achieving that mission. And I think that that is how we can actually start to win is because then we're being effective in every area that we all have valid reasons and logic and you know nuance as we've all you know been very eloquently been able to explain our points and why we do what we want to do and why we think the way we think 
Um, and then we all were able to agree that, you know, not necessarily any of them are wrong and, and to each their own, and we're all working towards the same goal. And so I think that on the left broadly, whether we're from liberals to progressive, you know, like Lou said, if, if I'm standing next to somebody who punched a Nazi because they were yelling in their face and I walk away from them, that I, I'm not an ally. But what I can say is, hey, I'm not going to want to punch Nazis, so I'm going to attend a different rally next time, but not denigrate the person who did punch the Nazi. Right? I think that's, that's where, it, where it comes is, you know, I can disagree with your path, but let you take it. I don't have to tear you down or try and you know, break, break things apart. And I think that if we just let each other be and know, as long as we know that we're working towards the same goal, right? We're all here. Like we've all said, this is a huge range. We're the most aligned we would get more than, you know, you know, speaking to some other groups of people, but there's still very nuanced and, and differences in discussion. Um, and I think that that's how we win is taking all of these approaches because they're not going to expect that because they are the right is especially united they've got one script they've got one talking point and they hammer it and they hammer it and they hammer it and nobody defects and then we're all running around here saying a million different things but also tearing each other down not just letting those million things all be out there it's hey i'm gonna say this and you're a piece of shit because you said something Different. Well, you're and a I fucking nobody... communist. You're a fucking Marxist. You're a fucking right. democratic <laughs> socialist. Blah, blah, blah. I know that nobody here on this panel did that. So that, that's not what I'm trying to imply. But that is what we see in the, the online. Even I've seen it in person in protests. This does not just happen in the online life. I've watched this happen at protests where somebody was. At, we, this happened literally two weeks ago at a, at a pro choice versus pro life. You know, it's not pro, anti life, anti choice. Um, <laughs> where you know we had anti-protesters show up and one person decided to scream in that person's face until they left and that made some people uncomfortable and so they left but it didn't it didn't turn into a fight about our decisions the people that were uncomfortable with the confrontation left but then they came back the next day and were still there right so they left the situation that made them feel unsafe and uncomfortable but didn't tear down the person or leave the fight because they disagreed with that individual approach. Um, and so that that's what I would just say with all of this is that we're all right and we're all tackling fucking Nazis in every and any way that we can because fuck those guys. Like I, the, the fact that we still have to tell somebody today that I deserve to exist in 2022 is unacceptable. And so however we can eradicate the need for that conversation, I am here for it. Um, I love and appreciate you all. I look forward to connecting with you all more. Um, I know Jordan, I know very well. Chris, I look forward to being on your show again. Lou, new friend. Omar, very nice to meet you. Erica as well. Um, I saw all of you followed me and vice versa. So definitely look forward to more conversations. Um, and I'll be listening to the, the tail end of you guys talk. Thank you so much for having me. Sorry to jump in there. Thanks so much for coming, Dan. Have a great rest of your night. Bye, guys. Cheers. Okay, so Dan actually did a really good job of bringing me into my next question, but I'm just going to have you guys take like a two-minute break real quick. Um, okay. So I think we all could just take a quick yeah, breather. I was about to ask for one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got to pee anyways. <laughs> okay, cool. The Nazi. In a couple of minutes.
Hello. Can you hear me? Yeah. Great. Oh, nice. Joins getting the thong rip going. Fuck, maybe I should do that. <laughs> no, that's a bad idea. Got a little steamy. <laughs> yeah, man, I'm setting loose on the East Coast. I was like, I need to go do some action with this guy. <laughs> me and me and Lucy eye to eye on a lot of shit. Come out, man. Dude, <laughs> I'm in Charlotte, the Hornet's Nest. <laughs> every single person that listens to the episode that we did with you, Lou, is like so fucking into it. The number of people that have reached out to me about, like, oh my god, he's amazing! Wow, like wow. parent people from my parents like my parents friends and stuff that listen to it and they're like oh he was so good i'm like oh my god yay it's okay yeah man we, see, I need to so get you're gonna you have on. me back right yes absolutely. I, I need to get you on mine i need to get you to come plug your podcast on mine dude hell yeah you should definitely go hell on yeah. the all left <laughs> yeah hell we yeah, need to get man. lou on ours man i will do it i will do it are Chris, we back on you should go on cartels and capitalism too yeah I'm, I'm down I'm, thinking I'm about down. Anytime, any anytime you want my uh, my Nazi punching pinko opinion, you got it, man. I'm there. <laughs> I'm into it. <laughs> yeah. Are we? Uh, you guys ready? In? Yeah. Yeah. No. Cool. Sweet. So I think I'm ready for this. I can't believe we only have gone over one question. That's fucking awesome. <laughs> Sounds like a leftist panel to me. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right, I think we started two. touching on the uh, second one, right? What's that? Minimalism? Yeah. We we started no, we kind of touched wasn't on it the leftist? second one. The leftist being the left being divided. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, a little bit. Like, okay. I already so, gave my two cents on that one. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. I think that we can all largely agree that the far right is united, but the left is not. So I wanted to ask you guys, what do you think are some of the primary reasons the left continues to be divided? And secondly, what role? If any, obviously there is a role. Do you think the manufacturing of consent by the media and decades of anti-socialist and communist propaganda have to do with the disharmony of the left? Well, can we? Can I jump back to the first part of that? Oh yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Because there's there's an inherent assumption in that um, in that in that question that the right is um, like more organized. You know, and uh, and I've had the experience of working with the right, you know, um, on campaigns, and they're not. <laughs> they're they're really not. Um, they just don't give a fuck about each other's picadillos, you know. Right, right. Oh, not well, that they're organized. That they're united in their ideology. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're not. I think that it's. I think the right is really. Um, kind of a, a a paper tiger you know like they look organized because they have all this money but a lot of it is astroturf a lot of it is astroturf and they don't have the longevity they don't believe in deep organizing and the kind of like cultural changes right from the Hamas principles mm -hmm. we have the idea that um that you go into organizing understanding that you will be changed by that experience. They don't have any of that. They don't have any of those principles going in. They go in because they see like a direct threat to their power or their capital, and they just want to remove that threat. And they'll ally with anyone 
they'll work with anyone. They'll they'll say anything, you know, no matter how ridiculous, they'll do it all. But the minute you start to like pull at these threads that are naturally there, they kind of fall apart, you know, like every time they prop somebody up, oh, well, this person's also a pedophile or this person's also like a closet homosexual who's condemning homosexuality, you know, like they have all these things in their closet, but in the background of it all, they just don't like they're, they're willing to set aside all those things. So I don't think that they're inherently more organized or structured better. They just have a shit ton of money and um, billionaires backing a lot of these like um, think tanks and whatnot that are putting out all of this astroturf to make it look like they're a lot stronger than they are. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, but back to the any... left and all our fucking problems. <laughs> you guys have any responses to that? Uh, I was going to say, I, I, I do agree with you. And, uh, you know, I, I the most recent example that I can think of is, um, I, I want to say it was probably Fox News, but there were these two uh, news anchors and they were both talking about, um, I think one of them was condemning Trump uh, for the January 6th riots. So like you said, they, they seem like they're together, uh, but then you have these people that are kind of like, wait a second, uh, you know, I, I don't agree with it. But I, I believe like the majority, though, of the party or like everybody believes in that kind of kick those people aside. Um, but it's 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 also very hypocritical because you could have people like. Uh, was it uh, Ted Cruz? He was talking, uh, you know, mad, mad shit about Trump and Trump was talking mad shit back. But then, you know, fast forward a couple months later. All this wife ugly. Right, right. And then a couple months later, you have Ted talking nothing but great things about Trump. So it's, it's, it's like you said, you know, they, they, they pick at each other. And it's, it's the fact that they're all kind of like, so, you know, they, they, they unspokenly look at each other and go, okay, we all kind of believe the same thing and we're all going to believe it. Even if you disagree with it a little bit, you still have to believe in all of it. And if you don't, you're out of the, the club. Yeah. Uh, but you can come back to the club as long as you say that you still believe it. And it, it's kind of like that falls. Also they're, known they're, as the cult. <laughs> there you go. So, <laughs> so it's like, you know, you can be part of the club as long as you you believe what we're believing. But if you don't, yeah. you know, you're, you're against us too. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I think, also what daniel was saying how you know the left is more willing to have arguments and speak about it uh when you have these people are like look we are aiming for the same goal how to get there is what we're arguing whereas the far right is more you know that that's our end goal this is how we're going to do it and if you have thoughts about how to do it otherwise it's gonna be, you know, you're you're against us. There's no no talking about it, and I think that's why uh, the left is a little bit more not united in the sense that, like, you know, the the the, the goal is there. It's just how to get there is what's what's holding back the left. It's the the different ideologies covered on the under the umbrella of the left that's causing the the kind of like the the getting stuck if that makes sense yeah 
Yeah, I guess I'll just add, um, I mean, kind of a little bit of what we were already saying. Uh, you know, the left is naturally more diverse um, in all ways, including our opinions, our beliefs, uh, which is beautiful and amazing, but it makes us more susceptible to infighting and also to infiltration and by forces that want to divide us from each other. Um, so that's, you know, it's like our Achilles heel that we have. Um, but kind of like um, what Dan was saying, like, if we are, if we're able to inhabit the space where we're able to exist with these differences in our approaches and not jump on top of each other and shit on each other and tear each other down, then we can use our diversity as like a strength and, and, you know, a, a real tool for getting our goals met and not something that's going to just make us unravel, you know? Well, and to be so. fair though, I think our, our willingness to jump on each other is also a strength though. I mean, that's how we get people saying "fuck Nancy Pelosi," you know. I mean, the Demo again because let I me mean, let's be real. I'm sure everyone on this panel agrees the Democratic Party is not our allies; they're a capitalist party of white supremacy. But most Americans wouldn't agree with that. Well, I mean, do you remember, you remember the election? You know, like oh, Joe Biden's radical America is going to give everyone a free puppy <laughs> and defund the police. I'm like, based. I wish that was happening. That'd be great. Um, but that's not what we actually have. Instead, we got Nancy Pelosi fucking kneeling in African garb in her high heels in D.C., but per giving no, you know, just performance out the ass, but zero effective change whatsoever. Because the change is not to issue some more training and more bazookas to cops and, and, and put a fucking rainbow sticker on the side of their squad guard. No, it's defund the motherfuckers. Disarm them. And let's start arming communities of color. Let's start arming queer communities. Let's, let's, let's actually give solidarity of the working class to themselves and to each other. But that's not what they want to hear. And so, I, I don't know. And again, this is maybe I'm just going off on a tangent. I'm not trying to dismiss what you said at all. But, like... Yeah. I find the willingness to call each other out important, especially, especially when a lot of the left happens to be white, um, because white people need to call white people out. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm gonna um, <clears throat> say that there. One of the problem there are two there are two problems. Um, one is collectivism, all right, and it's the idea especially on the left, that I want to do something, but I'm going to kind of do all of this online. And I've seen all these things blow up and all these arguments between leftists and, and all this animosity generated um, and these, you know, call outs and stuff that are that are horrific happen, but seldom, extraordinarily rarely in my 10 plus years of organizing have I seen that shit go down in real life. In real life, when people have to actually look at each other in a meeting, you know, across the room, they're far more civil and far more willing to meet in the middle and to agree, hey, you know, we, we see eye to eye on 99% of this shit. You know, this 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 is just some uh decorative touches that were that we disagree on. Let's let's roll with it. Um so my thought is let's let's create more chances for more opportunities for leftists to come together in real life. You know, because there's way too much online activity on Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and TikTok and and Twitter, uh, where people can misread, misconstrue, can read things in, where people who aren't involved are suddenly being drawn into the conversation. Like, fuck off. This is between the two of us 
we don't need your third party bullshit and you bringing up shit from 10 years ago and your perspective on this it, fuck off until we're we're done i lead conflict resolution um i educate on conflict resolution and when we're doing that when i'm saying hey that first part like you don't bring the community into conflict resolution until the very end everything that happens in conflict resolution is between the the two the two parties that are affected and the mediator and most of that is just on getting the story straight getting to where they both sides agree on what the fuck happened and if you if you leave everybody else out of that room you can get there if you bring everybody in and you have 30 voices you're never going to get there it's just going to blow up the second thing that I wanted to say was uh, the left doesn't understand triage. Um, we don't understand as a as a as, as as a collective that you know we we have to decide amongst ourselves what is most important. What is the linchpin that is going to raise you know what's going to going to raise the sea level? What's going to raise all ships? You know, <clears throat> and we just have to agree. I think that we can agree on almost anything if everybody agrees to just, you know, hey, put your shit aside for a little bit, you know, set your ego aside, put your your particular soapbox down for a minute, rally behind this one thing, and let's do this shit. For me, it's worker rights. I think that everything kind of ties into that with healthcare, with universal basic income, with um you know, uh, changing people's, um, you know, working on income inequality. I think that all kind of ties into the nexus of workers' workers' rights. But that's just me, and we can have a conversation about that. Right, class consciousness, as uh, Jordan has brought up. Um, but, yeah, I think that that we have a real problem with triage in this. And the right, that's the one thing that they have that we don't, is they're like, you know, oh, top of the tree, money. <laughs> you know, top of the tree is capital. If it's fucking with capital, we got it, we got to we got to Snuffing in the crib because that's it. Well, to be fair, too, both political parties automatically adopt the right wing framework of any argument. Like the Democrats are supposed to be the quote unquote left. Whenever they're in any kind of fucking debate, they automatically assume good faith with any right wing argument. To the point where they even accept the argument as legitimate. Like, there is no fucking left party in this country whatsoever. Amen, brother. <laughs> Get no argument here. I would also point out there has never been no. a viable left party. Like... Sure, you have left right. actors. Yeah, we've got Thaddeus Stevens who existed, you know, but like john brown was awesome but like we have left actors in politics yeah. but you don't have a leftist party ever i mean again because any even like the communist party was infiltrated by the fbi from day one we don't get I me mean, the, the only closest thing we've ever had to an actual leftist party in this I'm country is the black right panther now. party <laughs> the Black Panther Party is the closest thing we've ever had to an actual leftist political party uh, because they were Maoists who actually engaged in political change on the streets and in halls of power. Look, I mean, you know, that didn't take long. Right. They saw that the government wasn't doing shit, gave kids free breakfast, <laughs> and then a uh, ship was sailed. Yeah. Ten point program. 
Now, I would be remiss if I didn't plug at this point uh, my good friend Jasmine Sherman, who is running for president and um, has created the Unicorn Party, which is a socialist party. Uh, you should definitely look her up um, at Jasmine Sherman for president. And um, she is wild. <laughs> she is a wild woman. Um, you think I'm lit? She is all the way turnt. So, uh, and I love her. I love her to death for it. So, um, so definitely Jasmine Sherman for president. If you, um, if you're looking for for a socialist party that's out here trying to do work, I am currently registered as a socialist. That's fucking rad. <laughs> you guys have any uh, other things to say before I move on to the third question? I feel like let's move on. Okay, <laughs> because cool. there's a lot to get through. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. As mentioned previously, violent protests and property destruction are not the same thing. Anarchist writer Peter Gerdelos wrote a book titled How Nonviolence Protects the State, where he challenges the belief that nonviolence is the only way to fight for a better world. So Gerdelos invites activists to consider diverse tactics, passionately arguing that exclusive nonviolence often acts to reinforce the same structures of oppression that activists seek to overthrow. So... My first question for you guys is nonviolence effective at ending systems of oppression. Whoever wants to take that first. Erica? Yeah, how about you, Erica? I mean, I don't know. There's examples of this. Yes, the women's suffrage movement, MLK, Gandhi. MLK, of course, was then killed. Like, you know, uh, after doing very let's be real, the white women's suffrage movement because yes. black women didn't get the right to vote in the 20s. Yes, very racist true. Susan B. Anthony got white women the right. <laughs> Chris, <laughs> damn it, you're over here taking my lines, man. <laughs> I, I beat you to it. <laughs> I mean, it's black bourgeois feminism, but I think the kinds of threats that we're facing going forward with climate change, with rising fascism around the globe, um, I think that nonviolent protest is not going to be the way. <laughs> it's not going to be the path forward. Um, you know, I, I think mobilizing in numbers to demonstrate that we have, we have the numbers to, to use violence to, to actually force thing, force the issue is a good thing. But, um, but mobilizing nonviolently is basically like a implied threat that we could use violence on a massive scale if we decided to, but we're not doing it right now. That's how I see nonviolent protests a lot of the time. It's like, we're here showing that we have the ability to mobilize. We could bring out our weapons, but we're not doing it yet. But if you don't get your act together, who knows what the fuck is going to happen, you know? So. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, what, what Jordan just wrote in the chat was the state has the monopoly on violence. I agree. Like, uh, I, I think Erica's right on. Like, first of all, I think you're right on the money. That is exactly the point of nonviolent protest. Uh, that's why it works in places like France is because, yeah, they show up to politicians' doors and build guillotines. Um, <laughs> you know, the the firefighters fight the cops. I mean, like, they don't fuck around in a lot of these countries. And that's why they get, you know, six months paid paternity leave. And that's why, you know, they have to be fired for reasonable offenses and all that. But here in america it's just not i mean like i have again i have this conversation with a lot of people and i ask them like name me the historical movement in the united states where civil rights were won for oppressed people that was solved with nonviolence, and there's not a single one 
I can't I can't think of one, and I've always defied people to find one. But it's like I mean, the boomers like, oh, we stopped Vietnam. It's like, no, 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 you didn't. <laughs> Marching in the streets didn't stop yeah, Vietnam. Not in this country, you fucking you know, yeah. Martin but Luther that's what King I'm saying. It's like shot. Vietnamese stopped Vietnam. Yeah, it's like exactly, but we don't want to talk about that. And then, by the way, after they defeated the United States, marched over to Cambodia and took out Pol Pot, which we had no interest in doing. <laughs> Vietnam had their shit together. But anyway, that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> but like, I think Erica has, ha, that's exactly how it's supposed to work. Like, that is exactly what it's supposed to do. And that is how it works in 90% of the world. It's like, yeah, like, you know, there's that meme that went around, like, you know, like, anyone remember how, like, you know, the point of mass protests and the point of, you know, all these things, unionizing and all that was to remind our bosses, was so we didn't have to go and drag our bosses out of the street and beat them to death in front of their families. <laughs> I feel like they're forgetting that. And it's like, yeah, that's how it works, but not in America. In America, we can't make a, it doesn't matter, we can, we can sit on TV every single night and watch a new person of color who's unarmed be murdered by police and be like, hmm less bazookas and and then and, and maybe and even that's a controversial thing but the second that the supreme court decides that 51 percent of americans don't deserve right over their own body autonomy and people peacefully protest i mean these were white people with charcuterie boards this was this was by far not a scary protest people were writing on sidewalks with chalk that's what was happening at the scotus protest and one day 24 hours 24 hours we got legislation protecting supreme court justices from protests outside their residence i mean it's like so it's like i feel that yeah you're right that is exactly what protest is for and it works everywhere but here because america is always the exception so i wrote an answer earlier and i'll just refer to it um nonviolence is only effective against an entity incapable of genocide if genocide is an option for the opposition then they will simply kill nonviolent nonviolent activists en masse Jesus fucking Christ, I couldn't agree more. It's terrifyingly accurate. But it's true. So, now, I do believe that what Erica said before, um, you know, if you've got Martin on one side and he's scaring the shit out of people, then you've got to have Malcolm on the other side who simply <laughs> cannot be fucked with. You know, <laughs> like you've got to have, um, you, you have to have that yin and yang. You have to have that... Um, that leverage, you know, and the main problem that I see with nonviolent peaceful protest is it almost never goes into, um, it's almost never enacted with leverage. It's always, you know, and protest without leverage is just begging with yeah. more steps. Lou, you were talking about Stokely Carmichael earlier. He's one of my fan. I'm a big fan as well. Um, so he had a famous quote where he said, Nonviolence only works when your opponent has a conscience. The United States has none. Yeah. <laughs> well, and again, again, back to United States being the exception, like there is no greater example of bourgeois performative white activism than the women's march every year. You know, I, I've said this on my show. What of what of what of an anecdote that I use all the time had. is get I went to the first one and there was there was a woman standing there and she had a sign up. And it said, I'm going to see all you nice white ladies at the next George Foley protest, right? <laughs> and that's the thing is, is like, that's the difference between leftist and liberal activism. Because liberals care about a single pet topic that either concerns them or they have some kind of passing interest like someone would have for their pet. That's all it comes down to. We get gay pride, anti-homeless rocks. That's what liberalism brings us, right? 
<clears throat> and however, on other parts of the world, I mean, let's not forget the Soviet Revolution was brought on by the Women's Day protests. Like, everyone likes to credit Lenin, which don't get me wrong, Lenin was dope. But Lenin showed up because all the women started a revolution. <laughs> That's what happens in Germany. That's what happens in Russia. That's all the women in the Cuban France. Revolution. Right? Like, are we going to forget about the women of the Cuban Revolution? And the women who are still, again, Asada Shakur right now is helping keep the Cuban Revolution alive over there, living in exile as a wanted terrorist for a murder she didn't commit. Like, that's what the U.S. does. But over here, when we have a women's protest, which, let's be fair, a woman's place is in the revolution. If you actually look real history, get out of high school and read real history, women tend to be more revolutionary than men in almost every topic. And they women lead revolutions. Men get the credit and they write books later. Women read revolutions. And then in the U.S., what do we have? We have this milk toast, watered down, yes. pussy hat, march dance in the street. It's just fucking Lilith Fair. That's all it is. And then they go home and they do nothing. And nothing gets accomplished because that's the point of it. That's encouraged. That is what we're told to do. We are spoon-fed since we're children that if you want change, go out on the street, kiss a pig, march in a single-file line, don't do anything wrong, don't litter, and then go home to your husband. And that's what you're supposed to do. And that's going to bring change. We're told we're given this milk-down, watered-down water down version of, of Martin Luther King Jr. Dr. King didn't fuck around. People want to think he was this, like, docile, just guy who was begging for rights from white people. Martin Luther King called out white people, had armed guards, and was an active socialist. And, and but trust me, at the very beginning, he was like, well, Gandhi was kind of good and we shouldn't hurt people. By the end of it, he was uniting with X before he was assassinated. <laughs> like, but we don't hear about that in school because they don't want you to do that. They want you to believe that the revolution is always won by bus boycotts and women marching for the right to vote and having tea and everything was fine. And if you just if you just march enough and don't hurt anyone, then eventually you'll win the day. And that's just not fucking true. You win the day with violence or the threat of violence. And you win the day by making oppressors afraid they're about to be a head shorter if they don't quit fucking around that's how you yes. do it awesome chris yes yes <laughs> bring in the hot fire <laughs> the flaming hot nachos at this bitch yes <clears throat> um, i would say for the audience listening um two things uh definitely look up the deacons for defense because i was so inspired when i learned about um these guys, if you don't know, the Deacons for Defense were the armed, um, like, security personnel that were with Dr. King. And these were uh, Black and Brown Korean veterans who came home and saw their children uh, being mobilized by SNCC and saw them being brutalized by cops and picked up their guns and ran, like, military style missions in their neighborhoods and in their cities to uh to confront directly the clan um in armed combat and the deacons for defense were the progenitors they were the forefathers that um that gave rise to the black panthers Who else? There was something I forget else. the black panthers oh. gained notoriety because they did two things they fed kids when no one else would mm -hmm. and the reason why they were really targeted is because uh, after the LAPD kept shooting people, they started showing up to observe police stops and they were armed because California is an open carry state, which means you're allowed to carry a firearm as long as it's not concealed.
as long as it is holstered in full view, you can carry a firearm on you in California. And so these guys were like, dope, that sounds great. Let's go wear our guns in front of the police when they're pulling over our friends and family. And the cops got real fucking scared because all of a sudden people were shooting them back. And that's, well, <laughs> you can't have, it's, if you want to get changed, you got to get white people shot. And so the cops got real pissed. And that's when Reagan, governor of California, suddenly started putting out assault rifle bans. And suddenly Los Angeles went on lockdown in all of LA County. You couldn't open carry anymore. And again, that's, this is a whole other topic, but all gun control measures are racist because they're always to disarm communities of color because you make something illegal. You think the cops are going to disarm the white people? You think the local sheriffs are going to go out to their, their oath keepers and, and disarm them? No, because they're part of the club. But what you're going to have is you're going to have another influx of black, brown, and queer people in prison. See, this is why I'm not going on your show, Chris. Because we're just going to be saying the same thing over and over. Like, it's just going to be me and you just both kind of like, bro, you know, my, my this show is fest. an echo chamber. This, this, this bromance of us just like, hell yeah, hell yeah. You know, <laughs> fuck them pigs. Uh, Pretty much. Uh, one thing I did want to ask Chris um, would you consider uh, showing up with holstered guns a violent or a nonviolent protest? Nonviolent. Nonviolent. Okay. Yeah. Um, now the, 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 the I would lead. say it's, it's got, it's got violent sprinkles. It's got a hint, you know, <laughs> it's like, it's like the hint water of violent protests. Like it's definitely, it's definitely got a fuck around and five out, find out vibe to it. Um, but again, if you are not actively engaging rightists with violence, then it's nonviolent. And I would point out to Jordan, you make that heavy distinction that uh, that that property destruction is not violent protest. And I would say again, that's everywhere but America. But under capitalism, where corporations and pub and private property have more rights than individuals, first of all, then property damage becomes violence if the state recognizes them as people. And but then I would also counter that with, if property has more rights than humans. How could you ever consider property damage not a viable form of protest under capitalism? Now, would it would the uh, the destruction of property still be okay even if it was like a I don't know like a mom and pop shop? Here, okay, so here's uh, uh, that's you raise a good that's point. That's a good question, um, but it's it's a question that needs to be addressed. I believe you, you gotta you gotta zoom out, right? So, like for instance, like that actually rarely happens. Okay, typically you don't see a lot of mom pop shops getting looted and burned out. One of the times you do see a lot of that, where a lot of that 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 kind of statement comes from, is from the L.A. riots after Rodney King, right? The problem is the reason why you saw such rage is you had South Central Los Angeles, a very black and a very poor and a very over-policed community. And people of color, black people were not allowed to own businesses. Banks would not give them loans. They would not be allowed the zoning permissions. And what you had was a whole lot of Indian and Korean immigrants who would come in and banks would happily hand them loans to buy liquor stores, dry cleaners, that kind of thing. And so... I actually don't agree with targeting mom and pop shops. And that's a really easy to say thing say for a white person with a decent credit score. Um, in my comfortable ass shoes, it's easy to say something like that. But I can also understand the rage of here is 
an entire community of people who are begging to own a piece of their own community, but they are being denied by a white racist bureaucracy who will not let them be active participants in their own community. And it's an active force to keep them starving and in prison. It's, it's, it's all part to keep people in prison as an active slave force. And so that's why they went out burning it. And the second part is even then, okay, maybe they're not going from out. Like George Floyd, we saw them burn a target, right? Well, first of all, who gives a shit? It's a target. It's insured. But number two, and, and I always feel like, how come they didn't burn down City Hall? How come they didn't burn down the police station? Because that's where the cops protected. If we, if we as American people are going to give such a shit about private property, how come our police don't protect the target? How come they protect a police station in the City Hall first? Shouldn't those be the first places abandoned if these guys are protecting and serving the community? But as we see with the last school shooting, and if you pick up any history book throughout American history, you'll see the police will never give a shit about actually protecting their communities they are here to protect private property and they're here to protect the status quo that is the point and like kind of loose said, cops and the clan go hand in hand absolutely that's where police come from that's where they still are and it is where armed cops in capitalism will always be because capitalism is the government and so therefore police have to be an armed wing of that government and that was really long-winded i'm sorry so back to your question um, of mom and pops, the way I see it is uh, violence can only be enacted against living creatures, right? If I, if I break an inanimate objects, that is not violent. You know, I haven't hurt anyone. I haven't harmed anyone or anything. Um, if I destroy, if I burn down a mom and pop, you know, in my community, um, that then puts that, them in harm's way. Lifestyle, though. right? Like right. That, if, that, if, their, if I'm putting whole... them in harm's way, then yeah, that is violence. Okay. <clears throat> um, but if I throw a brick through a Starbucks window, all right, that is not violence to me, yeah. in my in my opinion. Thanks to Citizens United, um, they ruled that uh, corporations can use money as speech. If money is speech, then costing corporations money is also speech, all right? And it is our duty to throw bricks through Starbucks windows because we are, that is a way, that is a form of wealth transfer, all right? For every window that gets smashed, that is an architect, that is a glass company, that is a trucker, that is a construction worker who now have jobs, you know? And that is a way of taking money from Starbucks and putting it into their pockets, which then circulates in their communities. All right. So uh, so not only is it perfectly right to smash windows, it is our patriotic duty um, to exert, you know, to fully uh, fulfill our First Amendment rights in this conversation. If costing money is the is the language that corporations speak, we have to speak to them in their language. All right. If I want to speak to a, a Mexican immigrant, you know, I learn Spanish. If I want to speak to a Cambodian immigrant, I learn Cambodian. If I want to speak to a corporation, I learn how to talk in money. Yeah, and I would also point out that the same people who will cry about private property being destroyed are the same ones who gleefully speak about things like the Boston Tea Party. <laughs> We're happy when it's slave holders doing it. So fucking true. Yeah, that was that was a because I, I wanted to clarify it because, um, you, the, you know, like I said, it's 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 about if it's a big company who you know a broken window is not going to hurt them, you know, whatever, who cares? But if it's going to be 
a small shop and, you know, they're already working paycheck to paycheck, you know, barely making enough to pay the rent for the location. And now they're out of business because, you know, the building is burned. That's when it starts to kind of cross that line. Um, and well, that's where some uh, nuance comes in, right? So we have to say, like, who are these people in our community? You know, are they part of our community? If you look at the LA riots or you look at um, the George Floyd protests and stuff, when uh, shops were burned or or damaged, these weren't these weren't community activists. These weren't people who were who were circulating dollars back into the black and brown community. You know, these weren't people who were upholding. You know, as a matter of fact, in the LA riots, black owned businesses wrote on their walls. You know, put up. Um, uh, plywood and wrote on them black owned business, you know, and they were left alone. You know, it's, 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 it's clearly a language, a discussion, a, a, a conversation that's being had. It's just being had in um, a non-traditional way. At least that's why, that's why I say it. Uh, I don't know who, who mentioned it earlier. It might've been Erica um, that said that uh, like the, the purpose of um, like, kind of trying to get people together in the movement. If you resort to like violence, it would end up kind of turning some people away. That's what we were talking about earlier with the, uh, uh, like punching people and stuff like that. So um, one way I wanted to kind of like merge it is, I, I, I love video games. And Nazis aren't people. One of the things that, <laughs> one of the things that kind of reminded me of this is that one game, um, I don't know if you guys heard of it. It's uh, called Detroit Become Human. Uh, where you're essentially playing the That's lives good. of three different androids, and the androids are trying to get rights uh, to be recognized as people uh, because they they develop a sort of like the personalities. You know, some of them love. You know, they 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 they're basically trying to prove that they are human. They they have feelings and they're they're people. Um, and in the game, you can make different choices. You can go the violent route. You can go the nonviolent route. You can choose to shoot uh, a human and that's going to cause the public opinion to go down. You can choose to help a human and that causes public opinion to go up. And even in the game, um, you can choose to do violence and that doesn't automatically get you to public opinion going down. Uh, so I think it's, it's a good way to kind of say violent um uh so what's the word sorry not not a uh action protest uh yeah there you go protest uh violent <laughs> protests are not necessarily bad when used correctly um like that that was my my, my point that i was trying to make Right. And those of us in the left, you know, when we're talking about violent protests, we're, we're not talking about endangering people's lives. We're talking about fucking destroying property. We're talking about sending a message to the status quo. Because the only time you disrupt the flow of business in this country is when you stop the flow of money coming in, when you damage the economy. That's the only time politicians and capitalists pay attention. Otherwise, they're just going to move on business as usual. That's it. Yeah. Can I so just we, like with the oh, GameStop sorry, Erica. stock. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, I just, I keep thinking about in this conversation, this great Andreas Malm quote 
that where he speaks specifically about destruction of property and how in America we are uniquely adverse to that phenomenon. <laughs> so like he says, um, France is different. A French social movement does not automatically become a pariah if it, spi if it spices up rioting, or sorry, if it spices up mass mobilization with some property destruction and rioting. There is no biological law of repellence, even in the global north. Rather, we face an ostensible paradox here in that the U.S. is a vastly more violent society as measured by the diffusion of guns, the incidents of mass shootings, the civilians killed by police, the veneration of armed heroes in popular culture, the belligerence of the state and any other yardstick than, front, than France. And yet the intolerance for violence committed by social movements is at its highest in the former. Uh, but this paradox dissolves when we consider that the US swept the slate clean for unrestrained capitalism by means of genocidal violence. <laughs> And that, like, yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, yeah, not, but <laughs> not just genocidal violence, right? Not just genocidal violence, but enslavement, yeah. right? Because genocidal violence is, um, for the most part, like, like a, a, a an encapsulated form of violence, whereas slavery was an ongoing, like, generational form of violence that you are born into live your entire life and die and have children in, you know, yeah. are specifically bred. You know, there's a reason why black people in America don't look like black people in Africa, you know, and um, <clears throat> yeah. but going back, I wanted to say that um, I would like for us to start uh, delineating between uh, nonviolent, violent and destructive protests. All right, mm -hmm. because violent is causing harm to a living creature. All right, a, live, a person or thing. Destructive is destroying some form of property, you know? Mm -hmm. And like Jordan said, um, disruptive power is really the only form of power. Now, you, now that can take a lot of uh, forms like boycotts, um, work stoppages, slowdowns, wildcat strikes, um, legal tactics and stuff, uh, but ultimately what you're doing is you're slowing down the money pipeline, right? Mm -hmm. And I think one of the reasons why we are so, as a, as a society, America, America is so hyper-focused on um, destruction of property as violence is because for so long in America, the property in question was Black people. And going, you know, doing anything to harm Black people wow. in under shadow slavery uh, would cost people money, but it would. But there was always the threat. Like people look at enslaved black people as this kind of monolithic uh, group that was just docile and was being pressed upon. But there were uprisings all the time. White people were terrified of black people, um, you know, rising up in any large scale way, especially after Jamaica, no Haiti won its independence from the French. So that's when they were like seriously cracking down and everything. That's when they were like putting, you know, uh, that's when they had the slave patrols and, you know, creating police forces and, you know, Charleston with the slave catchers and stuff. So they're, yeah, Nat Turner, that's when, so Americans have this like generational understanding. White America has this generational understanding that wealth is based in this subjugation 
But that subjugation is always tenuous because those people are always seeking to assert themselves and assert their rights. Mm -hmm. And that translates to windows. <laughs> and smashing them. Yes. Well, again, under capitalism, we are always going to find that it is it is ingrained in us since we are children to worship wealth and worship private property. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. that is that is the most American thing there is. Nothing is more important than wealth and private property. Nothing is more important than protecting that upper class. Again, it's the reason. Um, <clears throat> You know, again, it's the it's the reason we can enact immediate measures to protect the front lawns of Supreme Court justices, but we we can't go after killer cops. And I was having a great conversation with my mother. I was raised by two hardcore capitalists, um, <clears throat> and I was having a conversation. Wow. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> my mom was a my mom was a was a career banker. What? She she opened her own bank. <laughs> the the um Sumter National Bank. You can look it up. She's one of the like charter like founders of that bank. Um I was there. I was there when they opened the bank. Like I saw them put the safe in. I up I took out anyway, that's a long story. You know me, Erica. You know you go get me started on some storytelling. Yeah, All right. <laughs> so um but I was talking to them about capitalism, I was writing some stuff about, you know, veneer theory and Malthusian theory, uh, Malthusian myth. And it was interesting because as capitalists, they have no historical context for what capitalism is. My mom literally said, capitalism is just, if you work hard, you succeed, <laughs> you know? And I was like, oh God, meritocracy is, wow. Like, how do we, how do we, how do I even unpack this shit? Like, how do I even get to the root of all this? Like, wow. So I think that there are a lot of people out there who are capitalists, who are worshiping, you know, in, in the black community, there is a definite money worship, you know, because black people have been denied yeah. access to capital for so, for so damn long. But I think that a lot of people, lay people, who, you know, I think that, that the people listening to this podcast probably aren't, you know, like super out of it, but, you know, shout out to the audience to, for being so with it. But uh, <clears throat> but I think a lot of people hear private property and they think, oh, they're coming to take my toothbrush, you know, or they're, they're coming to take my house. And yeah, there's a difference between personal and private property. Right. Personal property. Um, yeah. But I don't think, you know, even my even my parents who are boomers and wealthy, you know, upper middle class uh, with ties to like upper upper class uh i don't think that they understand the difference between personal property and private property you know when i was explaining to them no capitalism is the privatization of the commons mm -hmm. you know that's all capitalism really is it's taking the stuff that is common to everyone the water supply the yeah. the air supply the the forestry you know and parsing it up and 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 claiming it as your own instead of being something um for use by all the people I think mean, a lot of people don't get that. Don't get, don't still don't understand that. Yeah. Jordan, you're Jordan. Oh, you're <laughs> muted. You. You're muted, buddy. Can't hear you. No, you like you actually oh, have oh. muted on the. Yeah, you're you're muted on the website. Your microphone is probably unmuted, but actual... muted, muted. There you there go. Can you guys hear me? 
Yes. Okay, cool. <laughs> my bad. Okay, so let me get to my second part of the question, which is, does nonviolence intersect with white privilege and the dominance of north over south, meaning the global north and south? Whoever wants to take that. Uh, I mean, okay, sure. Um, th there's a lot to unpack there, man. I mean, so if we're going to talk about... Because a lot of this really goes down to basic capitalism, too, not just, you know, environmentalism. Because um, we could talk about the Bush Doctrine. Um, you know, we could talk about the interference of America in the Mexican Civil War. You know, all of that good stuff, right? But, like, if you're really going to come down to just kind of eco-terrorism that the West does and the North does, uh, from Europe to Africa and from the United States to South America, um, that's been going on for generations. And it started with Europe. I mean, you know, Spain came over here and was immediately only interested in raping the land of gold and silver. You know, and then, of course, the Dutch, the British, the French got into it. And of course, the entire West became nothing but a colonial power. And they really separated by color the two hemispheres, where North America was the white half. And in South America, that's where you have, and it's actually very interesting historically, that's where you have a darker population. A lot of that is because the Spanish had different views of colonization than the British and French did. You see, once those areas gained their independence, they tried to create mestizo races where they were very interested in bringing the indigenous population mixing with the European heritage because they really wanted kind of, there's actually a whole, you can read in like Mexico's history uh, where they really wanted to create that mestizo race where they wanted something that was uniquely theirs, something that wasn't a colonial artifact, you know? And they didn't want to forsake their native population. Whereas in the United States and Canada, it was the exact opposite. We had interest in only genociding um the uh, indigenous population and breeding them out and people of color were either to be genocided or enslaved that was the only purpose for them this was to be a white nation whereas in the south they weren't and i personally believe that's a that's a big part of it is because you have the white hemisphere and you have the not white hemisphere and that's going to uh, or white controlled hemisphere and that's going to dictate where that comes from and those became centers of capital and they had no care for developing the rights or liberties or or sovereignty of those lands and so that's why you still have as soon as a nation tries to nationalize their own minerals or oil reserves we go to war <laughs> I guess anything anything to say <laughs> oh well i i guess um specifically in relation to climate change nonviolence definitely intersects with white privilege because the effects of climate change are disproportionately felt by people in developing countries and the global south um and obviously if if we're just everyone just to say yeah let's just take a nonviolent approach to this what the fuck about the people that are dying in heat waves that are dying from natural disasters all over the place that are that are never going to have a chance of their economies actually thriving because they're in in situations where, you know, the the soil they they won't be able to till, they won't be able to raise raise food. They'll just completely be devastated by the effects of climate change. So it is very, very unfair to expect that we're going to approach climate change nonviolently um, for the people that are being most affected by it. Yeah. 
I oh couldn't my, agree thank more. You. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna piggyback on that and and say my thoughts on that are um, you know, 2020 was on record. I haven't seen stats for 2021, but 2020 on record is as the most deadly year on record for environmental activists worldwide. All right, and most of the deaths of environmental activists are happening in the global south. You know, by mm-hmm. folks who are brown skinned. Um, who are speaking truth to power and are being gunned down in their homes or on the roadways uh, by corporations. And, <clears throat> you know, um, I think that nonviolence today in 2022 is in- entirely parallel to white privilege because, like I said before, nonviolence only works when your opposition does not have genocide as an option. And a lot of white privilege is the understanding that, oh, these people aren't going to murder me, you know, for sitting in the street or uh, or, or taking direct action or speaking out against them. Beca- and why is that? Well, that's because you're white. Um, you do that same thing as a brown person, you know, and uh and yeah you know like you look at the was it the um the ranchers out in wherever bumfuck you know and uh they were on like tribal land and they had all these guns and stuff and they were ready to throw down and do like waco part two yeah 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 and um and you've got like like atf you know officers like shaking their hands and you know sharing cigarettes and shit with them like let five black Please. dudes <laughs> with guns show up on somebody's land uninvited <laughs> and see how fast that shit turns extra violent. Yeah. You know? Oh, so yeah, nonviolence is is entirely tied to uh to white privilege. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love what Aaliyah said. And Chris, like the distinction that she made when you pointed that out, I thought that was so beautiful. Like that's the exact fucking kind of leftist unity that we need, you know? Which point? Sorry, just to... When well, Aaliyah... just that we need we need people who are willing people who are willing to do the nonviolent work people who oh, have yeah, the the yeah. privilege yeah. and the time and the Except patience and the ability to not die on the table. Oh God! Jeez. Can 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 then but also not bemoan those who do like because look if you want to go out there and say hey uh i refuse to do violence i am a non-violent person and i believe we could save every soul and i'm gonna do that that's fine as long as you're not stopping lou from defending his children <laughs> and saying that any action that he does towards people who want to lynch his family is wrong as long as you go oh no i'm gonna pack you a lunch while you do that i'm just also gonna hug it out with these guys and try to make him see a light i'm fine with that we can disagree because I'm not going to get in the way of your, even though I disagree with it, I'm not going to get in the way of your nonviolent approach. It's fine. Yeah. Because again, the outliers exist. Great. We saved one. Hallelujah. But I'm well in agreement <laughs> with the point that you don't debate people that want to fucking kill you. Yeah. <laughs> but if yeah. anybody does want to pack me a lunch, all right, I am partial <laughs> to uh, to chicken. I'm not, I'm not buying into any stereotypes, but I am a black man who does love his chicken. So that's just, you know. fair enough (laughs) okay so part c of this question is 
How do you think that pacifism reinforces the same power dynamic as the patriarchy? Jordan, that's where you that's where you fucked up, man. You said it was six questions, but you got A, B, yeah. C coming out like yeah, yeah, the math like, teacher bullshit going on. That's like 13 <laughs> questions. You know, I'm just a dickhead teacher. <laughs> you know, there's there's seven questions, but each one is three parts. Um, I would say that it only does that because kind of like we were just talking about is how like you have to have a certain amount of privilege to participate in nonviolent, right? If the clan is coming into town, okay, and they're going to start some shit, right? And someone's got to go out there and say, hey, no, um, I'm going to be able to do that. And I might get heard for a few minutes before I get shot. Lou is going to be shot before he can be heard. And that distinction right there is the difference. That's where I have the ability to actually try to engage nonviolently. But someone who is advocating for death, violence, and hatred, and you're not right to exist, there is no talking it out with them. There just isn't. Like, there, there just is no way to go about that. And so, yeah, I would, I would say that again there's if someone wants to do it that's fine what i what i take umbrage with is that being taught to us as a cultural virtue that that is the right and good way to do this is to is to be nice and educate it's like no if that's the way you personally want to do it that's fine but we need to not be teaching our entire culture that the way you stand up to genocidal fascism is with cake and cookies no you do that the way grandpa did it. You sail a boat over to Germany and shoot him in the face. Fuck yeah. You don't be nice <laughs> to people that want you in the fucking ground. Yep. I mean, I guess that's also why it, it ties in that, um, like, with the whole protest, um, how, like, Fox News was calling people looters and yeah. uh, rioters, you know, because of that same. They're burning down entire cities, bro. How many? God, Portland burned yeah. down seventeen times. <laughs> One point I really, really want to make in this conversation is that, um, so like after the police station was burned in Minneapolis, um, based from based based yeah. as fuck, <laughs> but from what I've read, the public support for that was actually pretty fucking huge. It was the majority of Americans that supported that. But the reason they supported that was because it happened so quickly after. George Floyd was killed. Yep. And so the 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 fact that they took action in a strategic time when public public discontent with the police was so fucking high, they got a overwhelming support for that, which is amazing in America. Right. Getting burned and and the majority of Americans being like, yeah, fuck yeah, <laughs> you know, like that's so blows true. My fucking mind. So like. One thing that Andreas Mom, who and I this love, is Minneapolis too. This isn't like fucking <laughs> San Francisco. <No. laughs> yeah, that's what was impressive. But but I I love this, I, and and this is something that Andreas Mom really brings up in his in his writing and in his, in speaking about these things, that when you are trying to plan a dis violent or destructive action of any sort, if you can time it around things that will sway public opinion in your favor you have the greatest chance of maximizing who you can fucking reach who you can bring into the fold the amount of that you can build your movement out through that action so like 
I'm not against violent action, but I think be fucking smart about it. You know, like don't, don't do it willy nilly or just fucking chaotically. Like try to think about where do I direct this and when do I direct this it to maximize my goals, you know? Um, you would not believe how much time is spent in organizing circles, like debating that very thing. Like, oh, what is the timing? How do we maximize? Like, how? Like, what is? Like, do we? How do we know when the trigger? You know, when to pull the trigger here? Like, how? What do we? What happened? What has to happen? But that's where it moves from a science to an art. Like, it's your gut. You know, huh. you got to read, you got to read the tea leaves and, and, and sniff the air and, you know, oh yeah, the time is right. Let's go. You know? Yeah. That's, it's... <clears throat> well, yeah. And again, let's, 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 let's be real. Like that was one of the most vital and it was, you know, it was towards the end of his life, but that was one of the most vital things MLK ever said was he said, there's nothing more dangerous than the white moderate, not the Klansman because the Klansman, you know, where he stands. And he says, the, the part is the white moderate. Who says, I agree with your cause, but I want you to wait for a more convenient time. Or I agree with your plight, but I cannot mm -hmm. abide your actions. And it's mm -hmm. like, that's kind of where, like, what Lou says, like, it, you know, you're with me or get the hell out of the way. But if you come up and I do something and you run, you're not my ally. And so I agree, Erica, that planning is paramount. That Yeah, that's important. Yeah. But again, for me, at least, it's the least important. What matters <laughs> is that people reacted that the state needs to understand that when the state uses violence against unarmed men of color for no reason other than cold-blooded murder there will be a violent reaction that might be you know blowing up police station it could be burning down half the city i don't care but no matter what we need to ramp it up because at the end of the day we need to make people afraid we need to make people in power afraid to murder and subjugate us and unless they're afraid and terrified nothing gets done yeah yeah emma goldman the most violent element of society is ignorance <laughs> pretty fucking good she's amazing <laughs> so part d of this question <laughs> because once again <laughs> i'm an asshole teacher <laughs> ultimately do you guys think that nonviolence protects the state Whoever wants to take that first. Okay, so I did. I did think about this earlier, and um, ultimately, nonviolence is built on a request to the state, leaving the state the power of refusal, um, or, or leaving the power of refusal in the hands of the oppressors. The subsequent negotiations will always work in favor of the oppressors, who can simply resume killing their opposition at any time. You know, so. So yeah, nonviolence automatically puts is is handing power to the state and saying, um, we would like for you to do something. You know, we we would like for you to acknowledge that Black Lives Matter. You know, not oh, if you move against Black Lives, we will move against you. You know, there there's there's a very different power dynamic between those two um, stances. If you, anytime you let the state be in monopolistic control of the, of violence, um, then they've won. Like it, it's just that it, it, if you refuse to engage the state by enemy, again, there's a reason why those words have hung in the air in leftist circles is by any means necessary. 
because at the end of the day, the eye on the prize, that's what matters, you know? And again, if, if we're going to step outside of our comfortable white privilege here, like, again, I don't have to worry about the clan burning across on my, my front porch. That's great. That's really nice that I get to live in Southern California as a straight cisgendered white man. That's beautiful. It's great. Wish that on everyone. But that's not the reality for everyone. Fucking A, and, dude. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it, it, it's sure, it's great, it's nice, but it's a let them eat cake moment. And, and, and you know, when I talk when I talk to people, when I talk to centrists, you know, when they say, like, I just, I refuse to acknowledge a movement that involves violence. And I'm like, well, how do you feel about the Holocaust? Well, the Holocaust is terrible. So you believe that American intervention to stop the Holocaust was Christ. That was okay violence. Well, yeah, it's like, oh, okay, so... So which one is it? Is it because the Holo is fighting the Holocaust stopped violence against white people that you're okay with it? Or it was because it was trying to kill 6 million Jews that, that it is okay with it? Which one of those is it? Because obviously they're not going to say, well, it's because it's white people, which even that's usually the answer, the real one. But if they're going to say, well, it's because there's millions of people. It's like, so then what's that number? Is it 3 million? Is 3 million the line you draw? Is 2 million? 1 million? What about 10 people? What about 10 people being innocently murdered by the state? You know, where do you draw that line on human numbers where you'll say violence is okay? And I say that number is one. There is no means to stop an innocent person being murdered by the state. There's no amount that is an acceptable number. But yet we find that centrists only want to handle those big numbers. And anything under that is just, well, you know, the, we got to hug it out and we got to do all this other stuff. And we got to have a third party like Andrew Yang. And, and for some reason, some genocide is a compromise is apparently okay. <laughs> Um, but that's it to, to take those approach will only enable the status quo and the status quo is white nationalism. That's what we have. So Chris, if you're not as going long to as it's not fight a against Democrat it, or Republican though. Yeah, that, exactly. Like if you're not going to do everything you can to fight against the capitalist white nationalist culture we are in, then you are enabling it. You are either a collaborator or, or an antagonist against it, you'd pick. Because if you dig your head in the sand, you're a collaborator. Because white nationalism is what we have. And that's why you find so many white people and people of middle class to wealth taking umbrage with violent protest or property destruction or anything like that because they benefit from white privilege. This system benefits us. So for me to say I don't feel like changing it, well, no shit. It benefits me. I get to drive down the street. If I get pulled over by a cop, I'm not going to get shot for the color of my skin. Like, that's great. That's super great. You know what? I don't have a uterus. So I don't have to worry about the Supreme Court taking my rights away to control my own body. That's awesome. Good for me. And I get to say that I don't want to make a change and I don't want to risk anything because I'm not at risk from anything. And change would only serve to take power and privilege away from me. And that's where you find out where people really are and who they are. Yeah, so two points. Um, one, back to uh, our earliest conversations with uh, Daniel and um, Aliyah. You know, the one thing that I didn't get to ask was, at what point, like, what would it take for somebody, what would it take for you to actually punch somebody in the face? Like, <laughs> what would they have to do? Like, you say, you know, oh, well, I find these people who just, they're not going to be convinced. Well, at that point, like, do you punch them in the face? Like, like they, they clearly need to be punched in the face. Like, do you just, you know, hey, um, you know, we're just going to agree to disagree and then walk away. I don't, I don't get that. But uh, another thing that I wanted to, to say, speaking to um, our lovely audience here, um, 
it is no, and I think Chris said this earlier. Chris, God dang it, man, you are so on point. Um, <laughs> we uh, as black genius. people, yeah, we as black people, um, and I'm going to say this to every black person and to the white audience, um, black. This isn't a fight for black people. You know, dismantling white supremacy and fixing America and all this, you know, is not our fight. You know, our fight is staying alive day to day, you know, and raising our kids in a way that they're not completely self-hating, you know, basket cases by the time they reach puberty. Uh, <clears throat> you know, the the you would not believe how hard it is with my two daughters for me to find reflections in movies and cartoons and toys of them, you know, to find, to, to give them images that reflect them. You know, my, my oldest daughter had a Barbie, a blue eyed, blonde haired Barbie. And I took it from her and I threw it in the garbage. And she said, you took my toy. And I said, you'll understand when you're older, you know, that is dangerous. You just don't, you know, she, she just didn't understand it. But I was like, yeah. when you're older, you'll get it. All right. I'm doing this for you. So, uh, so yeah, don't, don't feel like you have to go out and, and fight the good fight and everything. Like just living your life, <laughs> you know, just getting up and go, going to work and, and taking care of your family and, and finding some peace in this world is like, that's a heroic act in my book. Anyway, you slice it. Yeah, so well said, dude. Are you guys ready for me to move on or anything else? Yeah, I think let's go. Okay, so Professor Andreas Malm, who studies the relationship between climate change and capitalism, insists that environmental, the environmental movement reconsider its roots in nonviolence and instead embrace intelligence sabotage. So what we're talking about right now is the destruction of fossil fuel infrastructure to prevent more carbon from being emitted into the atmosphere. Machines, not people, in other words. It's an extremely important distinction. So Mom's central argument is that property destruction can be inspiring. Daniel Sherrill, an organizer in the climate movement, however, advocates for a nonviolent approach where he argues that sabotage would reduce the climate movement's ability to affect change. So my question for all you guys is, which strategy do you think would be most effective in immediately getting serious action on climate change implemented in the U.S. and why? I think that's the long one. I want to address the second question real quick because I think that's the real quick short one. Is this is that is a laughable idea that like it would actually harm progress because uh, we've been fighting this fight for almost a hundred years yeah. nonviolently and there's been no progress in climate stuff. Like all we've had is corporations tell us that it's our fault for using plastic straws. <laughs> so to this idea that like oh doing that would make us lose the fight. It's like bro, we've been on the map the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I would agree. Erica, I, I'm I'm a big fan of targeted sabotage. I think it's a big concept that we need to be pushing as much as possible right now, because as soon as you start harming human bodies, people get upset. You start to you start to divide up the cause 
I'm I'm for it in many many situations, but I believe that you start to really really alienate certain people. The the an easy way to not do that is to target property, which is also the most strategic thing when you're trying to deal with capital capitalist interests. Um, so, and with the fossil fuel industry, which is not going to stop unless the people step up and force it to stop and the politicians are, are too in bed with the fossil fuel industry, it's not going to stop unless we force them. So if, if we start on a global scale to use targeted, targeted sabotage to harm the fossil fuel infrastructure, I think that's our fastest way to disrupt the fossil fuel industry, to raise awareness around this without alienating so many people against your cause. Um, so yeah, I think that that is for me the clearest path forward for addressing climate change, uh, addressing um, the horrific things that we're gonna be facing in the coming generations. Well said. <laughs> I agree wholeheartedly. Uh, sorry, Omar, let me just, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I agree wholeheartedly with what you're saying, Erica. I think that there's some nuance. Um, quick prepper pig tip, folks, uh, for all of our audience out there. A five-pound bag of sugar, if you place it inside of a cement mixer, will um, uh, chemically imbalance uh, up to, like I think, five tons of cement, um, and it will never set. So, um, you know, stock up on your sugar, folks, and, uh, you know, <laughs> not just for Kool-Aid. Um, the... Other thing I want to say is there's a there's a hearts and minds component to this. I think that disrupting, I think that that targeted sabotage is fantastic for new construction and for new projects. <laughs> Somebody wants to build a pipeline in your area. Somebody wants to build a new plant in your area. Um, but for existing so structures, when you take out, like there were uh, the people out in, uh, I forget where, but um, there were a bunch of like right-wingers who were taking pot shots uh, with their rifles at um, some kind of uh, like um, uh, electrical like station or something. Um, <clears throat> what that did what it was it showed the vulnerability of the electrical grid to sabotage, right? So the the main um, uh, energy producers, including Duke Energy in my area, all set out on this like multi-year campaign to like harden their infrastructure where it comes to energy uh, trans transportation, right? So this is how energy gets distributed from the plants to your homes. There's a lot of stop stop way uh, stopping points along the way. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> if you don't have the people on your side and you shut down an energy plant, say in your area, and it causes brownouts or worse blackouts in your area, then the people are going to rise up against you, not the fossil fuel polluters. Um, and we have to remember that insulin is entirely dependent on refrigeration. So without electricity, yeah. your insulin goes bad and you That's such die. a good point. <laughs> you know, yeah. so, and there are a, a, a ton of um, folks who are disabled, uh, who have ailments that require um, electric electricity. Yeah. You know, I use a CPAP, you know, I'm fat. So 
<laughs> so uh, am I going to die? Not necessarily, but um, I run some risks if my electricity goes out for an extended amount of time. So, um, so overall, there's a culture that has to be uh, that has to be cultivated. One of self-sufficiency, right? So, um, right now we are immersed in a culture of consumerism. And that culture continues to, to drive us to to uh, always have more, always want more. But we don't, you know, we, we're not content with what we have. If we stopped right now with just the electricity needs that we have today and started working on reducing those, we'd be in a, in a better position. Right now, we're just ramping up. The fossil fuel industry isn't afraid of electric cars at all, all right? Because they know their money is going to be made in plastics going going forward well and electric right. cars are still largely like unaffordable for working class people so right. fossil fuel and companies they use, don't give a shit at all yeah and electric cars still use tires that are made from the oil industry they still use yeah. uh tubing and um components that i always love the um you know you got to get the nascar crowd on your on your side you know, NASCAR is the most like it's the most American thing I can possibly think of because it's just an excuse to burn oil. The cars burn oil, the tracks burn oil, the people getting their burn oil, their RVs that they camp out no at the shit. racetracks all burn Holy oil. Crap. Like it's just all gas and oil. It's all gas. It's just an orgy of gas and oil consumption <laughs> continually, you know. <clears throat> But I'm off topic. Anyway, what I was saying was hearts and minds got to. The fuck you are. Understand. <laughs> you got to get people to understand what you're trying to do, and that they that their part is. Um, we have to consume less, and we have to to understand, you know, how to live within our means, and our means are going are going to have to change. And that's actually a point that Andrew's mom also emphasizes, um, and he says that you really need to. Oh, fuck, I lost the point I was going to make. God damn it. <laughs> so tired after a long day of working on shit, but. <laughs> there's a Native American. Fucking capitalism. Quote. I can't remember exactly who said it, but uh, there's a Native American quote that says, um, before the white man came, we weren't poor, we were content. You know? Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a real big uh, issue in American society, especially with our rampant consumerism, that we don't recognize contentment at all. You know, you are you are poor until you are rich. Yeah. And that's it. I mean, that that's that's where capitalism brings us every time is it has nothing to, you know, to do with what you need or what you want or what would be good. It always has to do with um, with the, the, the desire for more, the constant consumption. Yeah, I was I was talking about like environmental sabotage. I don't remember exactly which part that I read. Did I read about Daniel Sherrill yet? Yes. Okay, I th I think that I did. So yeah. my question, I guess, for you guys was, which strategy do you think would be most effective in immediately getting serious action on climate change implement implemented in the U.S. and why? So like, nonviolent or a method of climate sabotage. I guess. It would have to be violent because um, I think it was either Chris, Lou, um, that said that 
by being nonviolent, you are essentially on the side of the state. Um, Especially because, you know, to, to do anything with that, we would have to make laws. And the people that make laws tend to have their pockets lined with oil money. So it's destructive. Yeah. At least that's, that's the way I see it. Fair enough. Yeah, so let's, yeah, just, let's just be very, really clear in our um, wording. Yeah, uh, yeah. Between violent you're and absolutely right. Yeah. I meant to say uh, destructive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess violent towards uh, private property. Mm-hmm. So destructive, yeah. <laughs> also known as destructive, yeah. Which do you guys think is... Um, a more viable strategy towards implementing like serious action on climate change. It's always going to be destruction of property. It's always going to be guerrilla warfare. It's always going to be sabotage. In this country, I don't see any other option. I don't see any other option in any country. I mean, you look at the most progressive nations True. in the world. I mean, go to Japan, go to Finland. They're still not doing enough. <laughs> like, at the end of the day, if it's a capitalist nation, it's not, it's not working without the sabotage. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, like, Biden is approving more like licenses for oil drilling on public lands than like even Trump did. So like we're gonna need to step shit up, you know. Um, and I think yeah, targeted sabotage. I like it especially because it's smart. It's not just like just a an expression of how you feel about the state of the world. You know, it's it's trying to bring about targeted objectives it's obviously effective too look what the fucking obama administration did against the standing rock protesters yeah yeah that's it yes oh. you know shooting shooting them with water cannons and freezing temperatures and locking people in dog cages and shit arresting uh press a lot of that could have been mitigated had they just you know done some targeted sabotage up the line I mean, we tortured some folks. (laughs) We tortured some folks. If you're listening, he's got a big smile on his face. Like, don't. (laughs) (laughs) It sounded a little weird. Like, Um, yeah. You know, but yeah, it was so funny to watch people like, oh, I loved Obama. He's so great. It's like, oh, you mean the guy who kept the torture prisons overseas open? The guy who built fucking concentration camps that are born? The guy who spanned the assassination and drone programs beyond any president in history? Like, fucking come on. You know, he just just quoted, he was just quoted saying, had he been around in the 80s, he would have been a, a, a moderate Republican. What the fuck? Shut the fuck like, up. I, 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 I kid you not. I saw the fucking clip, man. He said it himself. He said if he had been around in the 80s in, in Reagan era, he would have been a moderate Republican. And that Nicholas, Nixon was more liberal than him because Nixon created like the EPA, EPA. and all these like. Nixon's um, to the left of Biden on economics. Well, he's to the left of Obama too, damn it. Yeah. Fuck well, yeah. Let's, let's be real. The fuck? He, pro- he, probably, he probably, you know. I, I love that shit too. Like yeah, Biden just deports record <laughs> amounts of people every single day, and the right wing never gets some credit. But he still thinks someday that the conservatives are gonna say, "Hey, Biden, you're you know you're actually you're doing pretty good." 
Great job. They're buddy. never <laughs> going to give them credit. So you might as well appeal to the large majority of your fucking base. Yeah. Yep. Democrats are such lapdogs. Like, oh, it's just they're just it's just like an entire Jesus party of people shit. just waiting for an attaboy from like <laughs> the far right. Like well, you, you know, that's just You're done good there, Biden. You're done good. <laughs> <laughs> it just it, that's just, you know, sometimes we win, sometimes we lose. It has nothing to do with policy. Oh, I love eating lunch with Nazis. I did it all the time. Here's what here's what why are we not we more can popular? Can you, can you even imagine Biden at a different time? Can you even imagine him like antebellum, right? Like in, in Civil War era, but like, well, yes. if you just free this, if you just free these slaves, that's just not fair to all the slaves who died in slavery. Yeah. I can absolutely yeah. see that motherfucker drinking a mint julep on a plant on a porch somewhere, like a rocking chair. Ugh. Remember, if you don't vote for Biden, you're not black. There was so much of this shit that I constantly forget uh, that even happened. But right? One of the one of the first things that Trump did when he got elected, if I can take a side note for a second. One of the first things that he did was he shut down the um it was the I, I have to look through my notes. It is um the government agency that was tasked with fighting domestic terrorism. And he completely revamped it so that it only focused on Islamic terrorism. Of course. And and opened the door for white right-wing militias and domestic terrorism. And Biden did not rescind that. Like, he did not reverse that at all. Like, that is that ratchet effect right there, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> Well, you know, Antifa is basically just as bad as white supremacists. It's exactly the same. It's exactly the same. They're the real fascists. Anti-fascists yeah. are the real fascists. They don't believe in free speech at all. Fuck no. <laughs> I was going to ask you guys, I have one last question. Which do you think was more effective, sabotage or nonviolent? I already have the answer. So if there's just anything else that you guys want to talk about. Wait, read me that one more time. I was just going to ask you guys, which which strategy do you think is more effective? A nonviolent strategy or a strategy that embraces property destruction, also known as sabotage? Por que no los dos? <laughs> yeah, why not both? Exactly. Oh, like, I don't I don't know why those do don't go hand in hand. Why why can't you uh, why can't don't you have break to the boss's machinery and also make him afraid of the guillotine? I don't <laughs> right. So you sound like good belly fellows to me, man. I have nothing to time. Time. <laughs> So I have nothing to time. If all right. You guys well, want to stick around? I'm totally No, you down. okay, for all for all your you know, fucking around with all these questions, you didn't ask the last question though. Which is, Which is for those of you that favor the strategy of sabotage, do you think that this action helps bring together a sort of radical flank of the movement? Okay. In other words, will this activity inspire more climate justice revolutionaries? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, That's right. a great question. <laughs> yeah. So let's dive into that. Dick. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck me. <laughs> I don't know. What so, do you guys think about that? <clears throat> Luke? So I think in the in the short term, yes, uh, it does. If we if if you start running these um, these sabotage things in the short term, yes, 
And if you do it smartly, especially if you're targeting new construction and not fucking around with people's yeah. like electricity, like right. today, then yeah, you know, that that's a great way to start and a great way to start winning people over. Nobody, you know, you can feed into that nimbyism, right? Not in my backyard. You can feed into that, you know, you don't want a pipeline. We don't want a pipeline either. So fuck these pendejos. We're going for it. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but in the long term, if you don't have that hearts and minds component and you don't have the people with you, you still stand to alienate them. Um, especially if you have a bunch of um a bunch of groups that are that are just you know they're waiting for that um that little go ahead or 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 maybe a little bit more learning to prepare them on on how to do some of these things how to run some of these actions i was just going to say so where does the education element come into that oh that's all organizing is is education you know never... somebody runs go ahead i was thinking it should it should be a never ending process yeah lifelong learners baby we're doing it <laughs> But uh, but yeah, like when the Democratic National Convention came to uh, Charlotte in 2012, um, we had activists from uh, different cities who had had Democratic National Conventions in their cities come to Charlotte to train us on the tactics of the police, the, you know, how the Democratic National Conventions work, uh, how, you know, badges and stuff works, uh, what types of new equipment the police might get, how they will get new funding, and what that'll be used for. It was all very, very helpful. So I think that whenever groups run successful um, actions, uh, you see that now with uh, Extinction Rebellion and all the cool-ass shit they're doing around the world. And they're just cross-pollinating that shit everywhere. You know, it's like, oh, let's go to a training and let's learn direct action from uh, <laughs> XR and let's learn from Sunrise and let's learn from Greenpeace. And, you know, it's 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 a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, and I got to tell you, and there is, I, I actually used to work for Greenpeace. Um, cool. And uh, yeah, it was actually cool. I got to go to their training center in Oakland um and it was and go see the boats and do all that it was actually really really cool um and greenpeace is another organization that is committed to nonviolence, and i think they're you know it's funny though is they're not committed to not destruction um greenpeace is more than happy to chain themselves to machinery and that kind of thing um right like but, i don't want to fucking kill anyone but at the same time yeah. i want to make a goddamn difference right away but at the same time so greenpeace actually does a whole lot of good they still do but so mm -hmm. did um, oh, what was it? The guy, the, the whaling guys. Um, the guy who left. He was like one of the board members of Greenpeace, and he left. And he started. A, he did whale wars and. Oh, fuck, what was his name? Uh, I know who you're talking about. Anyway, that organization, Sea Shepherd. Uh, sea Shepherd is. They, they did have that hit show, Whale Wars, where they would literally go out and they would attack whaling ships. They would fire acid into the the, the corpses of the whales, making them unviable, and they would fire hose the guys on deck. And it was dope. And it's like it's one of those things where it's like, I don't know. I I, I hate the either or dichotomy. It's like we well, either have to be a pacifist or you have to be violent. It's like how about we just again, any means necessary, whatever gets the job done. I am at the one person is too many. Um, and if one method saves an innocent person's life or livelihood or family, then that was the correct method, whichever one got it done first. <laughs> yeah, Fuck I'm yeah. a big fan of Harriet Tubman. Mm. 
<laughs> no Sneaking way. away in a laundry basket. Knocking out babies. Home. Knocking out babies. Like, I just heard about that the other day. Go to like, sleep. So fucking based. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I, uh, when I when I protest in meat space, I do it under the name of John Brown. Nice. Because <laughs> there was, again, there was there was a time of heroes, man, during that time. And, and I feel like American exceptionalism really whitewashed our history of these heroes and told us that no no it was all about george washington chopping down a cherry tree it's like you he didn't have wooden teeth that's a joke his teeth were slave teeth just yes. ask very nicely yes. not to be enslaved yeah if we just ask nice enough if everybody sits down in the field and just doesn't pick the cotton today they'll let you go like you don't know <laughs> yep <clears throat> So I have this idea that I've I keep I've been it's been rolling around my head for a long fucking time now where like because I feel like the way I want to go out is like by blowing myself up on a, a whaling ship or something like that. Um, and if we please just, do not do this, but please <laughs> don't do that. Yeah, too damn amazing. <laughs> we love you so much. We need you around much longer. Oh, yeah, and if you're gonna do it, but no, do a mega yacht. Okay, yeah, that's a good point. But I and I, crash I, it into a whaling ship. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to like create an organization of old people that are ready to go already, and they're like, "I care about the environment. I'm going to sacrifice myself for this. Let's take it down." <laughs> you know, like, Samezies, we're there. <laughs> I've had that Dude. same thought. I was like, you know, right. why are old Dude, people like? You I get so like here. you got a, so you got three months to live. You know, make them like, count. You know the branding geriatric jihad. Oh my god, it is so good. Oh god. <laughs> Live your grandkids. Alzheimer's oh. and acetone. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, that, that face is never gonna leave my mind. <laughs> oh goodness. This is awesome. Y'all rock. Seriously. Cheers to all I love what you said, Chris, about um a time of heroes. I think that that's very potent. Like a time of despots engenders a time of heroes. You know, like people people will step up. They will step into these roles. Oh, I got um, a quote. I'm gonna Google it so I don't fuck it up. Yeah. The role of organizing. You know, going back to what Erica was saying before about um that timing issue you know what i what i brought up on cocktails and capitalism uh a dope ass podcast that all of you listening to should, should go check out is that um organizing isn't it isn't a bunch of slam dunks on your oppressors you know um every day can't be a win it's about keeping that drum beat going you know it's about keeping your people you know, keeping your 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 gunpowder dry, keeping your people ready, so that when that moment occurs, when it arrives, your people are ready to spring into action and take advantage of it. Hell yeah! Yeah, I I, I agree. You got to keep the fire going. At the end of the day, is is even if you don't win every single battle, just don't give up on the war, because lives are at stake and the future's at fucking stake. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, and by the way, the quote I wanted to read that reminded me of what you were saying, Lou. Uh, it's it's an old quote, Antonio Gramsci. I don't know who it was. Anyway, I've always loved this quote. It says, the old world is dying and the new world struggles to be born. Now is the time of monsters. Oh, yes. I've heard that before. Yeah. I love one. it. 
All right, well, y'all, I got to get out of here. It is late. Yeah, maybe I should do this. Late for you. It's it was twelve thirty. It's Wednesday <laughs> for Lou. On, it's only nine thirty in LA. Shut the fuck up, Chris. <laughs> yeah, bro, I got dinner and laundry to do, man. Almost one a.m. Here. Fair enough. All right. I, well, uh, I work for a nonprofit before the sun rises. Yo, plug your guys' <laughs> shit before you take off. Lou, let's start with you. Uh, cool. Yeah. Um. I'm Prepper Pig. You can find me on Instagram. You can find me on YouTube. You can find me on Patreon. The best thing, though, is go to Instagram. And on there, you can go to my uh, link tree and find everything that I do. I write. I do videos. Um, I uh, highlight a bunch of dope people doing dope things in my community. And I teach self-defense as well. So if you're looking on how to punch Nazis, I got you back. <laughs> So fucking based. <laughs> Erica, plug the Cocktails and Capitalism podcast. It's definitely a sister podcast. Um, how can people get in contact with you and what future projects do you have going on? Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm just planning to stick with Cocktails and Capitalism for now. It's kind of uh, consuming a lot of my life at this point because... Because I love uh, talking shit on capitalism and I love building out this anti-capitalist community that you know, every single guest that I have on the show has been incredible. And I, I, I'm so touched to be able to just network with people through the show. So um, if, if you want to get a hold of me, if you want to find the show, check us out on Instagram. Um, that's where I'm most active, Cocktails and Capitalism um, on Twitter. You find us on Spotify, on Apple, and all of the different places where you listen to podcasts. <laughs> um, but yeah, hope you guys check it out. Great. Thank you so much, Erica. Chris, yeah. where can people find the Alt-Left podcast, and what do you guys have going on in the future? Uh, uh, everywhere. The best place to, to reach out to us is on Twitter. Uh, we are at the Alt-Left pod. Uh, and if you go there, there's a link tree, and it'll take you to our Insta. Uh, I think there's still a Facebook. I don't know if Matt's rage quit that one yet. Um, but <laughs> Twitter's the best way to get a hold of us. We do have an Insta. Uh, you can find us, of course, on Podbean. Every single place you can hear a podcast. We we have infected the world. That is us, man. Yep. Yeah. So we are the Outlift Podcast. Check us out. Um, again, we are um, we are just straight up an echo chamber of of leftism <laughs> of different flavors, and we admit it. It is a fart in a jar. I get it. Um, but if you want to come and hang out and uh, and hear things that you like, you might like us. <laughs> Thanks so much, man. Omar, where can listeners get in contact with you? Um, I know you're not a content creator per se, but do you have any yeah. future projects going on? Uh, no, not at the moment. But I mean, uh, I have my uh, my Facebook, uh, Instagram. Uh, Want to say it's Slomar Osorio. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, they can uh, uh, contact me there. Yeah, so more sorry, I have to check that. <laughs> no worries, thanks, man, and thank you guys so much for being here. I'll be sure to plug everybody's um social medias and content creation pieces in the description. Um, as far as 805 Uncensored goes, we are on Twitter at 805 Uncensored, we're on um instagram at 805 uncensored pod youtube at 805 uncensored podcast if you guys have any questions comments guest suggestions or episode ideas go ahead and shoot me an email at 805 uncensored at gmail.com and once again thank you so much everybody and have a good night good morning wherever you're fucking listening peace <laughs> out everybody and thank you so much this was panel number three. Oh 
Yeah. Thank you. All right. Good night, everybody. Thank you for having us.